Hello and welcome to episode 185 of Ferg on the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRP. Joining me as always is the glorious League Freak. You can find me on Twitter at League Freak. How you going there, mate? I'm going well, Andrew. How are you? Almost glorious as your good self. Excellent. Go drink some more of that coffee. Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, we're doing something a bit different for people today. We're recording during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is going to be continuation of our Super League series. And this is time we're looking at the year 1996. Yeah, it was a strange year. I feel like it was an it was a transitional year for the game. Like, 94 was one of the best seasons ever. 95 was a little bit of a mess. 1996 felt like, weirdly, the biggest mess of all. And then 1997 was obviously the split of the competitions. But 1996, there was something about that season that it just didn't feel good in many ways. Yeah, the inevitable was very close by. Mm -hmm. Um, And people weren't too sure what was going to happen. So there was this whole worry, fear throughout the whole year. And we had a bit of a false start with the Super League as well, which kind of just had everyone on edge for the whole year, trying to figure out when this thing was going to start and what it was going to do. Yeah, and I think the other thing is too, because uh, there wasn't a, the, the Super League competition and the actual breakaway didn't actually occur until the following year. There was this apprehension about like well what are we doing now so we got to play all in the same competition still and it was just it felt like i don't know it felt like the the rugby league season itself the games were a little bit of an afterthought in a weird way yeah so let's hook in we'll start off on january 1 1996 and uh super league officials refute suggestions that it would launch a hybrid game if the rebel comp is outlawed by the federal court I don't remember that one coming up. Was that to be a rebel game? Uh, sorry, a hybrid game with rugby union, I guess. Well, what it was was an, an idea that they because they the high court said they couldn't basically run another rugby league competition. The idea is, well, we won't run a rugby league competition. We'll just run a different sport. We'll start a different sport. You know, now they'd already done this deal with rugby union. Uh, news corporation i mean for the international rights for their game and so yeah there was this uh, and i don't think it really had much to do with rugby union at all i think it was more a case of like well what if we played a sport where there were 12 players per side and you got seven tackles and you know and so it's not actually rugby league and I, i think that was more of what they were looking at there it was rugby league ish yeah, yeah, but it wasn't rugby league, so they weren't running a rugby league competition, you see. Yeah. It was very, very smart. Um, also on that day, rather sadly, Gold Coast forward David Woods uh, committed suicide in, in his home at Burley Heads. Oh, um, yeah, I forgot about that one. Yeah, January 2, Wallaby half, George Gregan rejects an offer to join the Adelaide Rams. Mm-hmm. Former Test fullback Graham Eady claims he was axed as an assistant coach by the troubled Gold Coast club. And didn't walk out as was reported. Um, January 3, Terry Lamb announces he is coming out of retirement to boost his club's playing strength. Um, I would come was... out of retirement too if people were starting to get like nearly a million bucks a year in 1996. Exactly. Um, I think that was because there were a small bunch of Bulldogs players who didn't want to be a part of the Super League. So they switched codes and they went, or sorry, switched comps and went to Parramatta. 
yeah, they went they went over to Parramatta. It was Dean Pay, Jim Dimmick, Jared McCracken, and Jason Smith. Yes. Yeah. Um, January four, Mal Meninga is appointed coach of Australia's team for the Super League World Nines tournament. That's an interesting one. Hey, I don't remember the Super League World Nines. Neither do I. I, I thought it was another one of those ideas that never got up, but they had put forward. Mm. Um, January 8, World 7s organisers open negotiations to have all-black powerhouse Jonah Lomu compete in the February tournament. I don't remember that one. Uh, that would have been a bit of a coup, but... Mm. I can also understand that at the time, look, they're throwing around so much money. I guess they probably threw a lot of money at him to maybe take part in it. But you've got to remember at this point, the Australian Rugby League has been isolated internationally because Super League has signed up basically most of the international rugby league teams. So they were needing some sort of marketing because the World Sevens used to be very international. Yeah, like you, you look at the world, the uh, rugby, the NRL nines now, and it's just NRL clubs. The thing about the World Sevens was that it really was there were teams from all over the place, so international teams, and it was very much part of what made it interesting. And and so I can see that they realised they needed something to market the World Sevens around that year. Yeah, it was a really brilliant thing. I think in '94 we had Wigan um, from the well, English almost Super League comp. It was the RFL back then. Mm-hmm. It also had USA competing. So you actually had international sides, club sides from Australia and England. It was it was fantastic to watch. It really was. And that's why, I mean, that's what always drew me to that. Um, that's why I enjoyed the, the World Nines in 2019 and didn't watch the NRL Nines, you know, a few months later. Yeah. Um, January 10, Gold Coast players boycott training over the dissatisfaction with club owner Jeff Muller. Muller also announced on that day that he'd signed former international Martin Bella. Yeah, well, Martin Bella, I mean, he was towards the end of his career then. But I'm a big supporter, and if you're a rugby league player and a paycheck doesn't turn up in your account, you don't turn up to work. Exactly. Um, Let's see. Former St. George players Tony Prittle and Nick Zisti join the Bulldogs. Former test forward Mark Guy caps a remarkable comeback to the game after four years in, uh, you know, without playing any rep footy. Mm-hmm. And he got selected in the Australian team for the Super League World Nines tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, January 12, Gold Coast suffered yet another blow with the resignation of Chief Executive Des Bolster after he'd been there for just under a month. Probably yeah. a good move on his behalf. <laughs> Probably the reason why I'm bringing these up is um, the Gold Coast were one of a number of clubs who started to struggle during this whole war, mm. and obviously, as we as we now know, they were one of the clubs that got axed um, when the NRL came along, or well, I think it was a year after or so. But you start to see the struggles of the club here. Yeah, and it was they were never strong. They were just never a strong club, even when they come into the competition, and it it's. A little bit like what you see now. On paper, it should all work, and yet it just doesn't for whatever reason. It's kind of weird. Yeah. Uh, January 13, Super League announced that they plan to play final series matches at the SCG. That didn't happen. No. <laughs> um, January 15, Gold Coast announced the signing of former East Mailing Gold Coast forward Ron Gibbs. 
Uh, Craig Coleman signs with Western Suburbs after pay, paying out his Super League contract. Oh, wow. I wonder who he had signed up to play yeah. for in Super League. I don't remember that. But I tell you what, they now you can start to see, with some of the names that are being brought up now, a lot of players towards the end of their careers or their careers were over and everyone was looking to cash in. And why wouldn't you? You know, if you're a player that's in there and back then, if you were, say, a 32-year-old, you were pretty old. Um, if you're at the end of your career and they start throwing money around, man, you keep them boots on and you keep playing as long as possible. Oh, yeah. Um, January 16, Graham Lowe reveals that he needs to have heart surgery and it may force him to quit from his role as Cowboys coach. Um, and after spending nine months in jail, the well-traveled John Elias announces he's on the lookout for a new club in 1996. Yeah, and he ended up signing with, uh, was it Balmain? Probably, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Uh, January 17, Super League lodged an appeal against the Industrial Court's ruling that four Canterbury players signed contracts under duress. Yes, and it, this become one of the big tug-of-war situations in terms of players, um, the, the Canterbury players that decided to go to Parramatta for whatever reason, they were really held on to by the Super League side of things. And it, it didn't work out at the end of the day. But, yeah, they I don't understand why either. It wasn't like it was a Laurie Daly or, or one of the big names. You know, they were kind of all toilers. They are all forwards. And, yeah, but they really wanted them. Yeah. Um, also shows how desperate clubs were for signatures. They'd try all sorts of ploys to get names. Oh, 100%. 100%. Uh, January 21, the Sun Herald announced that the Northern Territory have joined the Exodus to Super League. That was a coup. Yeah, that was massive. Um, you know, I'll always remember that one. January 22, the New South Wales State Government announced plans for a 110,000-seat, $463 million Olympic Stadium in Homebush. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't remember the announcement of that. I felt like the announcement for that was uh, a couple of years later, so it's interesting mm. that it was that early. Uh, News Limited announced a $10 million upgrade of Bruce Stadium after taking a 50% stake in the Canberra Raiders. That's interesting. I wonder if that ever went through. Mm. Uh, January 23, Peter Johnson signs with Parramatta after being paid out by Super League. He was a very good player. Real rugged. Um, you know, and a tough forward. He's one of those players that people probably don't remember too much, but he was a good, solid forward. Oh, yeah. Uh, January 24, News Limited Chief Ken Cowley says Super League has cost his company $100 million. Oh, maybe they shouldn't have decided to make a coup of an entire sport. And interestingly enough, Super League players vote not to return to the ARL, irrespective of the outcome of the federal court action. Yeah, and it, that, you know, obviously they did return to the ARL, but, uh, yeah. Uh, January 25, more than 30 players walk out of the Gold Coast Club after a no-confidence vote in boss Jeff Muller. Yeah, terrible time for the Gold Coast. January 26th, and that very next day, the ARL vowed to keep the Gold Coast alive, at least until the outcome of the federal court action is known. Jeff Muller sacks head coach John Harvey after he refused to sign an agreement which guaranteed Muller's input into team selections. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Can you imagine that? 
Wow. Oh God. Um, Super League announced that they will use a video replay to help with contentious try scoring decisions. Well, that's what the people want. Um, on January 30, controversial businessman Jeff Muller retains control of the Gold Coast Club after high-level meetings with ARL officials. Oh, that's only going to go well, isn't it? Mm. Uh, Penrith win the right to, pro- to proceed with Supreme Court action seeking to overturn a decision which allowed Brad Fittler to join the Roosters. And you know what's interesting already? There's a lot of uh, action in court which doesn't actually, you know, win for the people that are taking the action. And there's a lot of statements being made by people already, like the players saying, we won't play for the, for the ARL. Well, they did go on to play for the ARL. You know, News Limited is taking court action against the Canterbury players that went to Parramatta to stop them from playing for the Eels. Well, they ended up playing for the Eels. And there's just a lot of... You think about all the money that was spent on all of this court action that didn't do anything at the end of the day. Yeah, so much. Uh, February, the New Zealand Rugby League threatens players with international bans if they represent a non-sanctioned team at the ARL's World Sevens. Yeah, and once again, the ARL was completely isolated and it, it was a really smart strategy. I would love to know how much it cost News Limited to get all of the rest of the other countries on board because it was a smart move on their behalf. I dare say... At the time, England would have been the only one that was expensive because I think they end up paying massive money. But part of the deal was to have a lot of English clubs merge. And a lot of those mergers didn't make sense and fell through, admittedly, as well. But I think that would have been the only one that cost more or cost as much, I guess, as the Australian one would have done if you take away the legal fees. (laughs) Yeah, and the thing is, too, that... Part of that was building in the uh, television rights for the new Super League that they were launching in in England. Um, So they were getting something for their money back. I would love to know how much they paid, for instance, in Fiji. And Fiji had an ARL on the Super League side, weirdly enough. But just in all of these other countries, I wonder, uh, say, for instance, New Zealand, how much did they have to pay to the New Zealand Rugby League? to get them on board the way they did, where they're threatening players for playing in an unsanctioned side. It's an interesting one. Yeah. Um, I, I think the there was a PG and a Fijian ARL team. Yeah. And they weren't, they weren't players who were aligned with Fijian or Papua New Guinea Rugby League. They were players on ARL contracts. So they were selected by the ARL, not by those countries. Well, from memory, and I, I could be wrong about this, but I think that PNG was aligned with the ARL. Um, but th- there was definitely that split with the Fiji team because they they had a Fiji and ARL team. It was it was very strange. It was all very weird. Um, February two, the Federal Communications Minister Michael Lee rules that certain Super League games must be shown on free to air TV. Yeah, and that's part of the anti-siphoning rules. Um, And I guess the thing that that showed was that from the government's point of view, Super League wasn't allowed to... Because obviously what Super League wanted was that you had to sign up for Foxtel to watch all of their games. And so the government was like, no, no, no. You you can't say that the anti-siphoning list just applies to the ARL and you're something different. It applies to you as well. 
Um, on February 4, the World Sevens was won by the Newcastle Knights. Um, total crowd for the two-day event was 37,000. Not bad, hey? Yeah. Uh, Ken Arthurson announces a series of test matches against Fiji, New Zealand, and the rest of the world side. Yeah, I I wonder what his thought was on the New Zealand team, because obviously the NZRL wasn't on their side. So I wonder how he... Maybe they were thinking, look, we've got a contract for a mid-season test, and they have to or a post-season test or whatever, and they have to fulfill that contract. But as we know, none of none of the contracts mattered at all during this no. time. Um, I think it was more an attempt by the ARL to have a what appeared to be a legitimate test, given that the other two were going to be against Fiji and the rest of the world. Yeah. And the very next day, Super League official Michael O'Connor describes the ARL's international program as Mickey Mouse and claims the players will be embarrassed to take part. I can't believe Michael O'Connor would say something stupid like that. Doesn't sound like him. Um, Gold Coast signing Ron Gibbs quits the club to accept a job in the oil fields. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's hilarious. Oh, boy. Um, February 7, Mike Eden continues the exodus from the Gold Coast club when he announces his resignation because of his inability to work with flamboyant owner Jeff Muller. And Ellery Hanley signs a deal with the Sydney Tigers. Ah, oh, that was a big signing. Yeah, I think at the time too, because Wayne Pearce would become coach, I think there was a unique situation where one of the players was older than the coach at that club. No, it was Hanley was older than Pearce. I'm pretty sure you're right. Yeah, how old would Hanley have been then? I think he would have been close to 34, 35, yeah. somewhere around there. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, he wasn't, he wasn't done. No. But he was, uh, you know, the problem was with that signing. If he, there were plenty of teams he could have gone to where he would have been a nice, you know, the cherry on top for a lot of teams. You know, you get the experience. He was a great player, all that sort of thing. Problem was he went to the Tigers where they didn't really have much else going on. Yeah. It was, mind you, at that time, I think the Tigers only had Stirrenen and Brasher as, as out-and-out stars. Yeah, yeah. They needed someone. Uh, February 8th, the ARL withdraw the licence from Gold Coast boss Jeff Muller and appoint ARL officials Jeff Carr and Paul Broughton to prop up the ailing club. Yeah, it's weird that it took that long. Yes. And here's another good one. Rugby union great David Campisi is chosen on the wing in the greatest graduates all-time team named by the ACT and District Minor Rugby League because Campisi played junior rugby league with Queanbeyan United. Oh, there you go. That's an interesting one. I wonder how much he treasures that that uh, name, <laughs> the title. Yeah, that's a good question. It's funny because uh, he's one of those rugby union people that have kind of disappeared off of the media radar in the last probably 10 years. He used to be uh, very outspoken, and he isn't so much anymore. Yes. Um Test captain Brad Fittler and former Penrith teammate Matt Singh win the right to play with Sydney City after the Supreme Court ruled their Penrith contract's invalid. Yeah, that was a great day for the Panthers club. (laughs) (laughs) Um, February 9, Gold Coast owner Jeff Muller wins an injunction to stop the ARL from running the Gold Coast club. I can see where that one's going too. (laughs) Yeah, this is not going well there. February 10, 
Super League trials begin in the Pacific Islands with the Hunter Mariners upsetting the Bulldogs 12-10 uh, in the Cook Islands and Canberra downing the Adelaide Rams 38-36 in Suva. Now, I I would love to see what the... And it was the Hunter Mariners, yeah? Mm. I would love to see what that lineup actually was because they didn't play in 1996 outside of that, really. Like, it wasn't like they had a this group of players, this first-grade group of players. So it's it's interesting to see how that team looked. And the Canberra team, how that would have looked as well, whether it was the actual Canberra Raiders or a Canberra Ray or a Canberra um, Super League team that was just thrown together. Yeah. Um, it's worth pointing out that Hunter Mariners playing in the Cook Islands, that's probably the closest they could have played at Newcastle without being abused. Yeah, probably, eh? Uh, February 11, English club Huddersfield offer Manly Ace Cliff Lyons $600,000 to pay to play for the club. That's a is fair si- whack in 96. Yeah, that is. Now, is $600,000 enough to move from Manly to Huddersfield? <laughs> it's a big question. It's, it's one for uh, for the listeners to debate, I reckon. Yeah, let's leave it to them. Uh, let's see, what's the next one here? February 12th, the Gold Coast saga continues with a fourth coach resigning in protest at controversial owner Jeff Muller. Phil Economides, who was named first grade coach in place of John Harvey, stood down from the club. Muller appointed Bob Johnson as the new chief executive. Oh, man. That's crazy. Yeah, RL chief executive John Quayle claims support is growing in New Zealand for a new ARL team. Wigan's reign as Challenge Cup champions ends when they fall 26-16 to Salford. That's interesting. Uh, that would have been a big shock in English Rugby League. And I guess when you start looking at 19... Well, 1995, you would still say Wigan, one of the best, if not the best team in the world. It fell away very quickly. Like, they, it changed... And I guess you look at this 1996 season, like, it changed very, very quickly to where... They wouldn't beat most teams in yeah. Australia. Uh, February 13, Gold Coast boss Jeff Muller announces plans to introduce a world natives team into the competition in 1996. Oh, mate, just, just focus on your own club. Yeah, I, I don't know what that meant, but I think that it was a bad idea. <laughs> uh, February 15, Rothman's medalist Mal Cochran is appointed Gold Coast's new first grade coach. Nice. They're just going through coaches here. How many yeah. have they had on the books in 1996? They haven't even played a game yet. They've already gone through a few coaches. They've got more coaches on their books than the West Tigers do right now. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, that was below the belt. Sad but true. Um, February 16, English League and the Legs Club will launch a $2 million damages claim against Manly, claiming that centre Craig Innes was induced to break his contract. Yeah, along with everyone else. Hmm. Oh, man. Um, a sponsorship crisis continues to boil in Auckland where the Warriors sponsors Dominion Breweries object to a clean-skin jersey edict laid down by Super League. Uh, the clean-skin means that all clubs would wear a jumper, but there'd be no sponsors on the front of it. Yeah, I don't know why they would have brought that in. My guess is that maybe um, Super League was looking to put in place a sponsor for every single club because they owned the clubs that they 
they had in their Super League competition. And I guess maybe their thought was that they could control the sponsorship on the front of the jerseys or maybe have a league-wide sponsor that was on the front of every jersey. Um, February 18, Ricky Stewart admits he would consider a return to rugby union if Super League is outlawed by the federal court. Yeah, a lot of people said a lot of stupid stuff during this time, as you can tell. February 20, Super League announced a seven-tackle rule to keep the ball in play after kicks. See what I mean? Um, February 21, former Bulldogs chief executive Peter Moore admits he rorted the ARL's contract valuation system to help the Bulldogs win the 1995 Premiership. I'm not even mad. Everyone was rorting everything at this point in the game's history. You just said it out loud. Yeah. Uh, Also, the ARL conducts its first meeting with a newly formed players committee. Yeah, that's an interesting one. The uh, February 22, the ARL threatened England centre Gary Connolly with court action if he plays in the World Nines tournament in Fiji. He signed an ARL loyalty agreement in 95, which prevented him from representing his country. And Uh. it's like, and this is what 1996 was. It was just a grind of this sort of stuff. You know, it wasn't fun. It wasn't a fun year for rugby league. No. I think this is all happening before... The premiership is even close to starting. Yeah. Um, February 23, the long-awaited judgment in the ARL Super League case is handed down by Justice James Burchett in the Federal Court, Sydney. He launches a blistering attack on the Super League organisation and its officials, describing them as dishonest, deceptive and secretive. ARL lawyers claim they will seek $100 million in restitution. The ARL claim a victory by knockout and are confident that all 29 orders will be granted by Justice Burchett when he resumes his judgment on February 26. Super League officials and players remain defiant. The ARL announced that their 20-team competition will now kick off on March 1, which is just a week away. Yeah, and I remember that, and it did at the time. It seemed like a real hammer blow to Super League. It seemed very comprehensive, and none of it mattered. February 24, the fallout begins. Rupert Murdoch lashes out at adverse comments made about News Limited executives in Justice Burchett's ruling. Um, Nick Politis calls for the banning of all officials who turn their backs on the ARL. <laughs> and the very next day, Foxtel goes ahead with its plans to launch the Fox Sports service despite Super League's devastating knockback in the courts. And this is what it's all about. It's all about pay TV. Don't let anybody ever tell you it's about some grand vision or it's about doing something for players or for the right game. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, the Super League wasn't worried about Laurie Daly getting marketed in India. It was none of that. It was simply because they, it, this was a content war. They needed content for Fox Sports. That was it. Yep. Uh, February 26th. This is the day when Justice Burchett was going to resume his judgment. The ARL asked the federal court to impose a worldwide ban on the operation and promotion of News Limited Super League until the turn of the century. Super League offered to pay damages to the ARL if the federal court allows its competition to kick off as scheduled on March 1. The Western Roads claim they will be forced to fold if they are instructed to play in the ARL competition. The start of the 1996 season is thrown into further doubt when Justice Burchett delays his decision on whether to stop Super League in 1996. So he's only delayed it by a day, though, because the very yeah. next day he grants orders banning Super League from starting until further orders are made in early March. 
and you can see where it's like, what are we doing here in 1996 already? Yeah, we are three days away from the competition starting, and we still don't know which clubs are going to be in. Mm-hmm. Um, the failure of Rebel Clubs to attend an ARL meeting virtually kills off hopes of the start to the ARL's 20-team comp on March 1. Broncos players rep Chris Johns claims Justice Burchett's rulings amount to a return of slavery for players. My yep. God. Now, Chris Johns ended up being, he he wasn't the CEO, but he was he was high up in Super League. Um, and, and everyone's saying stupid stuff at this time. That's in the grand final of stupid shit that was said during this time. Um, the Daily Telegraph reports that Super League players claim they will refuse to play in the ARL comp because less talented players who remained loyal to the ARL will be earning far more money than they will. That's a, that's a weird one. Um, John Quayle offers to quit if it will help bring about peace in the game. The ARL threatens to sue directors of Rebel Clubs if they do not ensure their clubs field their best teams for the opening round of the competition. Yeah, and I, I remember that. I remember it because they were looking to chuck out reserve grades and things like that. Um, and it was in in effort to kind of undermine the Australian Rugby League competition. And, yeah... And the, the, you can see the league season hasn't kicked off and it's a mess. It's already a mess. And this really wore on people. And, you know, by this stage, it's like, are they going to play games? Are they not playing games? And at some point, you just check out. Yeah. Um, February 28th, the ARL claims two Super League teams are ready to defect back to the establishment. The ARL abolishes the pre-season challenge competition and announces the start of the Premiership may be delayed until March 22, following another snub by the eight Super League clubs. Rebel Clubs announced plans to stage trial matches for charity. Yeah, for charity. That's a good one. <laughs> uh, March 1. ARL boss Ken Arthur says trial matches organised by Rebel Clubs would be in contempt of Justice Burchett's rulings. Jeff Muller loses his battle for control of the Gold Coast Club. The ARL appoint an interim board with Tom Bellew as chairman. The charity games are called off amid threats of contempt of court. ARU chief executive John O'Neill says rugby league is ripe for the picking. (laughs) And I guess that was the first time he really made headlines. And he did make headlines a few more times. Uh, And it's an interesting one because eventually he says that he would like the proceeds from one of the Rugby Union World Cups to go towards buying rugby league in Australia. And I remember, like, the the headlines, that they, and they made huge headlines, and it was just silly. It was absolutely ridiculous. And I remember somebody in Australian Rugby Union saying, you know what the rest of the world does not want to do is to pay for Australia to get all of the best rugby league players in the world to play for them out of their own pockets. Um, it's interesting to see how rugby union changed under John O'Neill's reign. They had a bit of a good run there for a little while, and he helped be part of what its current demise is today in Australia. Now, in a, another story which I completely forgot about, um, 
Former Penrith player Brad Izzard was jailed for nine months after pleading guilty to um, culpable driving causing death and grievous bodily harm while under the influence of alcohol. Yeah, I remember that one. We kind of don't talk about that in Penrith. That's fine. That's, that's why you don't hear about it. <laughs> March 2, the Sun Herald reports that Rebel Clubs will be kicked out of the competition unless they return to the fold quickly. Um... Tommy Radonikus, coach of the Magpies, lashes out at Super League stars Laurie Daly, Alan Langer, and Ricky Stewart. He's gone after their uh, their halfbacks. Mm-hmm. We didn't do this back in my day. That sort of thing. <laughs> that was uncanny. Mm. That was good. Um, was that actually him? <laughs> he, he was here. I think he's just gone out to sell some more tomatoes or something. Nice. Good work, Tommy. Thanks, mate. Um Broncos chairman Paul Morgan reveals a grand plan to merge rugby union and rugby league. <laughs> Look, it was an interesting one. Um, you know, I wonder if in the in both games' whole history, if this was a moment it could have been done or not. And part of me thinks probably not. Like, I feel as though it would be more likely, and we're saying right now in with a lot of the things Rugby Union is looking at currently with a lot of the rule changes they want to bring in, that um, I think it's more likely to happen in the next 10 years than it would have been back then. But there was also a feeling back then of like, what if, because News Limited obviously bought the rights to World Rugby Union, and what would a world, you know, rugby game be? be able to do from this point on if it was all brought together uh didn't end up happening i think too at the state of the games then rugby union was probably off the field anyway as strong as what rugby league was only because rugby league was divided and spending all of its resources trying to stay as the arl Mm. and so it was weak not not poor, but weak, and it was probably the only time where rugby union would have been in a position to, um, I suppose, try and take out rugby league in Australia. Yeah, but, and, that, but the th- the problem they, with that though is mm-hmm. they would have been looking at the money that was being thrown around and been horrified because they had like only a few years earlier had been paying players, but you know they were amateurs. But they were still playing them. They they just I, weren't paying taxes. I think the ARU's plan then was to say, what if we buy the ARL? Because News Limited only already owns Super League, and we make a deal with News Limited, which will automatically bring those players over. We don't have to pay for them, and automatically we've reunified all of the rugby rugby league ranks, and they'll all be playing under Rugby Union. And News Limited will be paying a huge amount of it all. And then we don't have to pay for as much of it. And we just reap the rewards from the TV rights deals and sponsorship and blah, 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 blah. And I think that would have been their mindset. The logistics of that happening were so close to impossible. It's it's, it's just never going to happen. But I think yeah. that was their, you know, if, if everything could fall into place, that's probably what they were thinking would, would happen. The, the thing is, though, like, Rugby Union was still very small in Australia too at this time. Like I think they were, they would probably more have been wanting or hoping that Rugby League just fell into a heap in itself and they sort of picked over the carcass when it was all said and done. Yeah. Um, well, that was, gonna, look, that was always going to be the, the option they'd go with because it was going to be a lot cheaper. Yeah, and look, 
rugby union's been trying to do that for a hundred plus years at this point and it's never worked once so <laughs> they probably should have taken the hint yeah uh march 3 ken Arthurson says the premiership would start no later than march 22 with or without the eight rebel sides nice excellent some certainty uh, finally exactly march 5 the reformed gold coast charges appoint phil economides as, as their coach the English Rugby League joined Rebel Clubs and players in court as Justice Burchett considers his decision on 27 orders sought by the ARL against News Limited and Super League. March 6. English boss Morris Lindsay outlines plans to conduct a rival competition to the ARL comprising Super League players in England. Okay. I, I don't understand what that is, but good luck to maybe he thought it was going to be what the world club challenge was he's was a great success yeah that's another episode that's coming up later mm-hmm. <laughs> um march 7 Laurie daly says he's unlikely to return to the arl even if every other player goes back the cowboys reds and auckland warriors indicate they may not be able to participate in an aol run competition because of financial constraints the federal court is told that the English Rugby League could sink without trace if orders were made banning Super League in Australia. Uh, just and like you've just heard there, some ridiculous statements, and it was just all ridiculous statements. Yeah, and it, and the thing to remember is too, a lot of the things that were said in the media, um, especially from the Super League side and and from the ARL side as well, but from the Super League side in particular you have a vested interest in News Limited who have this big media arm and they used it for commercial reasons and it was blatantly and everything they put out was trying to undermine the Australian Rugby League and its competition and to try and sway public opinion and to put pressure on the administrators and the players and make it look like the ARL's about to fall over and this isn't going to work and it was that daily and We've talked about this a little bit before. It was the real death of uh, journalism in Australia in many respects because this idea that you were getting the real story about what was going on about anything just went out the window because you saw a, just this uh, this media giant using its its arm to put out basically public relations stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, March 8th. Super League offers to pay unspecified damages to the ARL if its competition is allowed to go ahead in 1997. Steve Mortimer urges Super League club Rebels to hold out for as long as they can. On March 10, the Sun Herald reports that Rebel clubs are prepared reluctantly to return to the ARL, but only after all legal avenues have been exhausted. It also claims uh, damage... Damage claims of up to $50 million by the game's licensees and marketers against News Limited have been submitted. Uh, merger plans between South and the powerful South Juniors move a step closer to reality with discussions at board level to take place. Dennis Fitzgerald calls for the Premiership to kick off on March 22 with or without the Rebel Clubs. I mean, open your ears, mate. It's already been said. <laughs> and Canberra Chief Kevin Neal says forcing Rebel players back to the ARL be, would be like forcing a divorced couple to live together again. I can't disagree with him. No. <laughs> Kevin Neal was a really big mover and shaker in rugby league at this time too. It's interesting that he kind of disappears from the game after Super League, and I'm not sure why. I've got he no was, idea why. He was one of the few chief executives back in, even might have even been 92, 93, 
to jump on board with the Broncos' idea of having a rebel competition. So he would have been, you know, very much on board with the Super League thing. So I dare say when the game merged, he probably just walked away thinking, well, this is not what I signed up for. Possibly, yeah. And the, the thing too, to, and a lot of people listening to this won't really understand it properly at this stage, is that the Canberra Raiders were like the Melbourne Storm uh, of the current game. It was like they were one of the teams and they'd been one of the glamour clubs, and it was it was kind of like, uh, you know, people looked at them and Brisbane as the two glamour clubs in the competition. So they had a they had a big influence on, you know, the direction that the game was going at the, this time. Absolutely, I mean, it's a, it's amazing that in '93 and '94, especially, we didn't see a Brisbane versus Canberra grand final. No, and it was it was kind of a grand final that a lot of people would have liked to have seen and a lot of people thought was going to be inevitable. Yeah. And it's not weird that we still haven't seen it. But Canberra changed after the Super League War. Like, they went from being possibly the biggest team in the league, the, a glamour club, everyone loved watching them play. They were, you know, superstars. And I don't think they've ever returned to those heights in terms of the way the public sees them. No, no. Not even close. They were phenomenal. Uh, March 11, the federal court formalises orders to ban Super League until the year 2000, also stripping it of its merchandise and orders it to pay players to compete in the ARL competition. Super League players remain defiant about returning to the ARL, though. The following day, Super League has granted a hearing to seek an urgent stay of the federal court orders pending an appeal. John Quayle tells the TV audience that players have been overlooked for Australia's 95 World Cup team because they had signed with Super League. I mean, we kind of knew that anyway. Yeah. Uh, March 13, the Arrow announced a March 22 kickoff to their premiership and a new major sponsor, Optus Vision. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> the competition so will happens. also be named... Yes. The Optus Cup. Ah. Oh. Over the next five years, the deal is worth a reported $40 million. Now, there's no prizes for this. But if you can all take a guess at what the Super League Competitions Cup is going to be called the following year in 1997, you get a beautiful star. There you go. Um, that, that right there, that was just the ARL trolling Super League. Well, it, it showed that this was a case of, it was simply all about pay TV. That's yeah, it what it was, you know. Uh, the Federal Court grants Super League a stay on eight of the 38 orders handed down by Justice Burchett, effectively allowing the Rebel players to choose their own destinies. Super League clubs are bound to return to the ARL, but the 311 Rebel players discuss plans to launch their own breakaway competition. So we could have three competitions. Now, keep in mind, right, at this time in rugby league, there's not really a proper players association. No. And so this idea that 300 players are getting together and making any sort of decision is completely ridiculous. Yeah. Um, these next four days are interesting. So March 14, the Courier-Mail reports that Rebel players are certain to reject requests from their clubs to return to the ARL. March 15, Super League clubs confirm they will take part in the 20-team competition of the ARL starting on March 20. March 16, the Auckland Warriors board urges its players to return to the ARL. March 17, Rebel Players spokesman Chris John says a breakaway competition will be up and running within two weeks. Once again, stupid, stupid quotes. 
Mad. So now we're just a few days away from the premiership season starting. Yeah, it'd be good to get to some footy, hey? <laughs> wow. Uh, March 18. Rebel players put forward a 15-point plan, which is, if it's accepted, would see them return to the ARL. The points include participation in a 22-team comp, including the Hunter Marins and Adelaide Rams, a tri-series involving New South Wales, Queensland and New Zealand, and the wearing of the gear of Super League sponsor Nike. Now, there's a couple of things to consider here, right? First of all, I, I, you know, bringing in Nike as a sponsor, I think that's just something else to talk about. That's to get away from the real issue, which is let's bring in two extra clubs. Now, you bring in two extra clubs that just happen to be Super League clubs, you're starting to play with the numbers that are involved in the game. And why would the Australian Rugby League give Super League clubs a leg up to prepare themselves for any breakaway competition that was going to happen in the future? It was a totally ridiculous idea, but it was the sort of things that were being pumped out at this time. So much ridiculous stuff was going on in the game and being put out there as in, in the media and especially through News Limited Media, it must be said. And the very next day, ARL Loyal Clubs meet to discuss the Rebels' proposal and reject most of their demands. Laurie Daly accuses ARL officials of treating players like dogs before the Rebels continue to plan their own competition. Without their players, the Super League clubs appear certain to forfeit their weekend ARL Premiership matches. Now, I remember coming into this weekend... Uh, in the in rugby league, and it was interesting because they it's the first time I'd ever had the idea of teams actually forfeiting games ever even enter my mind. It was really weird. Was March twenty. English league boss Morris Lindsay launches the Rebel Global League competition, scheduled to start on March twenty nine. He insists Global League is not a surrogate Super League. I actually remember hearing about Global League. Yeah, so do I. Um, Rebel leaders Chris Johns and Simon Gillies fly to New Zealand to convince second-string Kiwi players not to play for the Auckland Warriors in the first round of the competition. The eight Super League clubs face increasing legal pressure to sue their players to stop them from starting their own comp. Canberra captain Ricky Stewart accuses sections of the media of being biased towards the ARL. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, and man. you know what's real you know what's funny about all this stuff is that there's some of the superstars of the game, like Laurie Daly. Can you think of too many players that and Laurie Daly's saying, Oh, they're treating us like dogs. Laurie Daly, Ricky Stewart, Alan Langers, a lot of people that you're hearing from all become instant millionaires during this Super League war, like oh, yeah. overnight. And therefore become immediate spokespeople for the uh, for the Super League. Exactly. And it's interesting to see how they're... And it happened with both sides to a certain extent, but it's interesting to hear how you, these different sides are saying, oh, they're treating us terribly and they don't care about the players and stuff. And meanwhile they become as rich as some of the players right now wouldn't have anywhere near the amount of money that these players were getting. Uh, March 22, the ARL returns to the federal court in an attempt to stop the breakaway Global League competition. Yeah. This is on the day that the premiership kicks off. Yeah. Six opening round matches are scrapped as seven Super League clubs announce forfeits. The Auckland Warriors were one of the teams to 
forfeit, or their Super League players were going to forfeit. And what they did instead, because I think they were going to be playing against another Super League club, is that they offered to put up a team of players selected from the Lion Red competition, mm-hmm. which meant that they initially, or essentially, had a team ready to play. So the team that forfeited to them, another Super League team, gave their competition points to Auckland. That's pretty smart, actually. And at the end of the year, yeah, that actually helped um, prevent Bowmate from reaching the finals, I think. Oh, one, really? One or two points. Uh, it was some weird thing like that. It was, it was remarkable. But um, yeah, they were the only ones cunning enough to put, um, to put a, to put a, a team on paper that none of them were super league aligned or yeah, ARL aligned. They were just players who were willing to go out there. I mean, if they had gone out and played, they would have got thumped by about a hundred odd. Yeah, but they knew they were going to be playing. Exactly. Now, from memory, and I, I could be wrong about this, but from memory, the first game involved Illawarra playing somebody. I can't remember who it was. And I remember there was a winger in the game, and I can't remember who the winger was. He he wasn't a player that ended up having uh, a long career or anything like that. But I remember him scoring and thinking, with all of these players that aren't playing and and deciding not to play and stuff like that. I wonder if this guy is going to be the one of the superstars that emerge from here, from the opportunities that were being created within the game of just the places that were available now for players. Yeah, so uh, in that first round, Penrith forfeited to Parramatta, mm-hmm. Brisbane forfeited to Auckland, Cronulla forfeited to Newcastle. The Western Reds forfeited to St. George. And Canberra forfeited to South Queensland. Nice. And uh, I'll just check that thing. Okay, the, the Tigers finished... Sorry, the Tigers finished on 22 points. So if Auckland hadn't have had that uh, two points there, the Tigers would have finished up in 11th. Okay. I knew, I knew they would have gone up the ladder somewhere, but they would have finished up, um, yeah, just two wins outside the, the finals. Do you know how much I wanted you to say ninth? I'll tell you what, I was keen. <laughs> Mind you, Newcastle got two points. So if Newcastle had lost that, then they would have gone down a spot. The Tigers would have been up to tenth. Ah, oh, getting close. We can getting work close. this one out. <laughs> Damn. But there we go. Um, just hours before the uh, the Premiership season kicks off, the Federal Court places an interlocutory. Injunction on Global League for 48 hours. A crowd of 9,744 turned out at Steelers Stadium where West Spring a surprise 17-day victory over Illawarra in the season opener. There you go. Before the kickoff, league boss Ken Arthurson launches a scathing attack on Rebel players and said, I don't think I would ever see the day when players went on strike because their clubs didn't have the guts to tell them what their contractual obligations were. Fighting words. Mm-hmm. Um, March 24, the ARL, with patience running, uh, fast running out, is prepared to run with a 13-team competition if the Rebel players continue to hold out. Would have been interesting to see what would have happened if that had occurred. Because, you know, th- there'd be a lot of the Super League stars would have said, yeah, let's do that. Okay, because they would have been getting paid. But there would have also been a lot of players that would have said, I can't afford to sit on the sideline for a year. Yeah. Uh, March 25, the full bench of the Federal Court blocks any hope of a breakaway competition starting in 1996, prompting the return to the establishment of the major uh, Rebel players. 
and all of those clubs there. Laurie Daly and Chris Johns remain defiant. The ARL appoint former journalist John Brady as public affairs manager. Oh, there you go. March 26. Laurie Daly completes a major about-face by agreeing to play for the Raiders in their round two match against Penrith. <laughs> in a statement to the media, he said he considered he would be playing for Canberra rather than in the ARL competition. Alan Langer, Kevin and Kerry Walters, Michael Hancock and Glenn Lazarus also fall into line. No, uh, halfback Noel Goldthorpe returns to St. George after the banning of the Hunter Mariners. It's really interesting because you can see the way it's framed. You know, oh, we're not playing in the ARL competition. I'm playing for Canberra. It's, yeah. it's crazy. Uh, Matthew Ridge and Gordon Tallis remain at odds with their clubs after signing Super League deals. I think Tallis ended up sitting the year out. He did, yes. Um. ARL Chairman Alan Sullivan QC says his tribunal will not be intimidated by accusations of bias against Super League voiced uh, by Canberra Captain Ricky Stewart and Chief Executive Kevin Neal. The cash-struck Western Reds land a sponsorship deal with Rupert Murdoch's Sunday Times newspaper. Oh, that was handy. March 29, something completely unrelated to Super League for a change, but not in a good way. The Western Reds Welsh international Dio Powell is charged of a manslaughter charge after a... Oh, sorry, he's cleared of a manslaughter charge after a man was killed in a brawl outside a Perth nightclub. Can you imagine that happening now? Russell Packer? Yeah, but he, he, that, he went to jail and he didn't kill anyone. No, he didn't kill anyone, but that's the only one I could think of that comes close to that. Yeah. Um... Manly prepare to take legal action against reluctant fullback Matthew Ridge. March 30, the English Super League kicks off in Paris. Yeah, with they, they had a new Paris team, Paris Saint-Germain, I think they were called. Yep. Um, and they didn't last for very long. It was a good idea, but as, as usual, with good ideas over in Super League, they don't last long. Um, no one has the gumption to stick by good decisions. Exactly. Uh, March 31, former Great Britain captain Phil Clark suffers a broken neck in the Roosters' 40-2 defeat of the Cowboys. Now, I remember that. Um, very, very scary. I, I always remember it when I see him on TV. He's Super League commentator now. Um, and But this is still back at a time where if if you got a broken neck, everyone just thought you were a paraplegic from that point on. Yeah. So it was it it was uh it was kind of strange that he did break his neck, and yet he didn't end up having. I mean, I'm sure he has some after effects from it, but he was able to walk and and all that sort of thing. Mm. Ah, very lucky. Very mm. lucky. Bad tackle. Um. Gordon Tallis vows not to return to the Dragons, a club he likens to, in quotation marks, a sinking ship. It's nice to know things do change. (laughs) Um, April 1. The ARL effectively blocks the return of Super League referees after demanding they sign five-year agreements. The ARL is now just starting to flex their muscles. Yeah, they've you, got their competition. If you want money and you want a job, you now have to come to us. Exactly. They've got their competition running. It's the only show in town still. 
And yeah, I I don't know that the Super League referees really cared because they ended up being on such good money anyway. But uh, yeah, they're, they're doing their best right now, the ARL. And I guess it's a chance they got their foothold uh, and they tried to use it as best as they could. It didn't really work out at the end, but they tried. Um, the ARL board vote against replaying first-round matches that were forfeited by Super League-aligned clubs. Yeah, they probably just thought staff them. Yeah. The Sydney City Roosters and the Sydney Swans agree to an historic alliance. I wonder if that still exists. Yeah, I wonder what the alliance was. Yeah, no idea. Um, April 2, Chris Johns agrees to return to the ARL Premiership. I think that was in a role with the Broncos. Was he still playing then? I don't think he was playing. I'm trying. I mean, it was very close to the end of his career, though. I had a feeling he'd retire before then. Like, I mean, he was he was really a a Super League official. And I know 96 was his last season. There you go. Wow. He was very vocal and very much a, a Super League person, wasn't he? While he was still playing. I wonder why that was. Yeah. Uh, April 3, Wigan chairman Jack Robinson and a director of the British club are arrested on fraud charges. Rugby league, eh? Um, April 5, the ARL offer to enter the top four Optus Cup sides in Super League's World Club Championship. Yeah, that... Why why did they ever think that was going to work? Oh, we're friends now. Yeah. (laughs) You know what would have been interesting, uh... I wonder if that was a case of Optus is saying, listen, we're paying you guys a lot of money. We want some stupid headlines as well. Yeah. Uh, April 8, the ARL scraps a new salary cap system because of fears it may be open to legal challenges from players or clubs. Yeah, and the idea that a salary cap was ever going to be in place during this time in rugby league was a farce anyway. Yeah. April 9... Oh, hang listen, on. Listen to your cat. Cat, it's been a dickhead. What are you doing? That's an aggressive cat. For those that don't know, Andrew and his family decided to get against getting a dog. So they decided to get a cat instead. But what they did is they didn't just get a cat. They got basically one of these cats that are half cat, half like, I don't know, mountain dickhead. lion. Half yeah. dickhead. Yeah, and so th- he doesn't really have a cat so much as he has this wild jungle beast in his house. And I think it's fantastic because he should have just got a dog. <laughs> dog was too small, <laughs> too meek. Good to know that, that 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 happened in there because if this episode goes too long, we'll just have to cut that bit out. <laughs> um, April five. I oh, know we did the April five one. April seven. Ricky Stewart suffers a serious knee injury and he's out for the year. Now, After all that posturing and all of what he'd been going through and all the stuff he'd been saying, yeah. amounts to nothing. He's of no value to anyone anymore because he's got to sit out the year with another knee injury. Yeah, and that's I a don't cruel twist of fate. I don't remember that at all. Um, I know that after the 1995 season, I, I, he he really 
the player that he was is no more. Mm. Uh, April 9, Ken Arthurson suggests that a council of reps from premiership clubs could be formed to take over much of the responsibility of the running of the Optus Cup. News Limited Chairman Rupert Murdoch blasts the uh, court judge Justice James Burchett in a controversial interview with Yana Went on the Seven Network. Yeah, I don't remember that interview, hey? No, I would like to see that. It would be interesting. I bet it's up somewhere. Um, April 10, Ken Arthurson claims Murdoch is out of touch following his uh, his interview. Uh, April 11, the ARL risk another confrontation by announcing they will select Super League players in their own New Zealand team to play a test series against Australia. The Super League Alliance New Zealand Rugby League claim they are unable to play in an official test series. Yeah, I don't know how that would have worked out, hey, because I can see both sides of that argument. Uh, April 12, New Zealand Rugby League President Graham Carden calls for Super League players to boycott the proposed Trans-Tasman test. Nice. <laughs> um, April 14, Steve Renoff tells the Sunday Mail that he doesn't care if he plays in the State of Origin series or not. But what about Queensland Passion? I thought it was all about passion and rivalry and stuff like that. I didn't think it was just about money. We'll just leave that one there, shall we? Mm. Um, The Sun Herald reveals that South Sydney manager Alan Jones will quit the club at the end of the season. So there was some good news in 1996. It wasn't all bad. Finally got rid of him. Um... Sydney's Fraud Enforcement Agency has interviewed more than 20 first-grade players as part of an investigation into player payments at the Gold Coast in 1995. Oh, wow. Gold Coast, my goodness. What a mess. Yeah. The New Zealand Rugby League accuses the ARL of attempting to blackmail Kiwi players into playing in a Rebel Test Series against Australia. Has the New Zealand Rugby League since ever made this many statements? I don't like, think so. It was a busy, busy month for them in April of 96. Yeah, yeah. Like, the New Zealand Rugby League is the most useless rugby league organisation on planet Earth. And I'm even saying ahead of the Rugby Football League. And they're really going around saying a lot of very big statements for an organisation that does absolutely nothing for rugby league. Yeah. Um... April 18, New Zealanders Tony Iro, John Lomax and Ruben Wiki announced they would not compete in a test match series against Australia. Um, April 19, Nathan Brown, Jason and Paul Stevens returned to St George after dropping legal action against the club. The ARL Align New Zealand coach Bob Bailey arrives in Australia to speak with Kiwi players over the proposed test series. April 21, New Zealand boss Graham Carden says the New Zealand Rugby League will consider an official test series with Australia if the ARL drops plans to stage Rebel tests. So, wow. (laughs) That's a a nice negotiation. If you don't do what you're going to do, we'll do what you want us to do. Yeah. It's interesting. It's mad. April 22, Warriors players reject a compromise deal put forward by the ARL over the proposed Trans-Tasman Test Series. Tension between St George and Canberra continues with tit-for-tat sightings arising from the Cogra Oval Clash where Canberra players accused the referee Paul McBlain of issuing threats on a day where John Lomax and Quentin Pongia were sent off for high tackles. 
Okay, <laughs> that's an interesting one. Mm. Um, Lomax and Pong, Pongia receive suspensions of four and six weeks respectively, while St. George second ride David Barnhill's case is adjourned. The future of the Gold Coast Chargers is guaranteed until 1998. Well, let's be honest. They were right about that. That's true. Um, April 26, Canberra suffer another major blow when Brad Clyde breaks his leg in the Raiders' 34-4 defeat of the Bulldogs. Isn't it interesting, all this stuff happening to the Raiders and, like, Brad Clyde after 1995 wasn't the player that Mm. he used to be. April 29, John Quayle drops plans to cite St. George forward David Barnhill after Canberra lodged their complaint 19 minutes after the citing deadline. The Raiders respond by threatening legal action. Of course they did. That's what everyone did at the moment. Like, at this point, if someone threatens you with legal action in rugby league, you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to see you there on Thursday anyway. You might as well. Add it to the ticket. Just pop the paperwork on the table with all the others. I'll deal with yeah. it later. Put it, yeah, put it in the uh, legal legal challenges pile. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a separate room for it now. Yeah. It's just, it's just a room with a door and it's just got the word in on it. Yeah. <laughs> That's my new intro. Um, April 30, Super League Align players agree to boycott the proposed test series between Australia and New Zealand. Oh, nice. Uh, May 1, Laurie Daly and Canberra Chief Kevin Neal differ over their views on the future of the annual City Country Clash after Neal calls for the match to be scrapped. Well, that's an interesting one because everyone's singing from the same hymn sheet for Super League. And I guess Laurie Daly decided that he disagreed with that one, which is interesting because... If Laurie Daly's saying that it should be kept, he's saying that this ARL fixture is an important one. Yeah, Laurie Daly was always a very big advocate for country rugby league. So that's one mm. thing I always did really, really like about him was that um, no matter how much he earned and you know all of the things he achieved, he was still always keen to line up for country, even when he didn't have to. He'd still play mm-hmm. for them. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, always respect him for that. Uh, Super League stars Glenn Lazarus, Brett Mullins and David Ferner say they would not hesitate to play for Australia against a Rebel New Zealand side if they are selected. Oh, that's an interesting one. Uh, Bulldogs claim former players Jared McCracken, Jason Smith, Dean Pay, Brett Dallas and Jim Demick owe the club $157,000. Now, I'd forgotten about Brett Dallas. Yes. Um, McCracken launches his account of the Super League saga in a book called A Family Betrayal, and I'm dying to find it so I can read it, because I think it'd be great. Yeah, I didn't know. It's an interesting idea that he put out a book at that time. Like, he was still a youngish player. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He was a bloody good one, too. He was. Uh... May 5, former Kiwi coach Bob Bailey announces the Rebel New Zealand team to play Australia in June will be known as the All Golds after the first New Zealand team which toured Australia in 1907. I like the name. Yeah, I don't know what he was getting at there, but anyway. Um, May 7, the Sydney Morning Herald reports that the ARL has commissioned a confidential report aimed at forming an elite 10-team competition to take the game into the 21st century. Remember, this is a 20-team competition here, and even when the Super League teams are out of there, the ARL's down to 14 teams. The, the thing is, we end up, after the Super League war, with a total of 22 teams. Mm. And 
It, it's just great. Like, just well, the best no they got it down to was 15, wasn't it? The lowest they got it down to, yes, I believe it was, because yes. they wanted to get to 14. Their That's ideal right. number actually was 12. Yes. And, but they were never going to get to 12. And yeah, they got it. They wanted 14. They got it down to 15. Um, ARL Chairman Ken Arthurson claims reports suggesting that a deal has been done between the ARL and South Queensland Crushers to leave the Crushers as the only Brisbane based team in a rationalised ARL comp in 1999 are outrageous. That is outrageous, actually. <laughs> um,. Gary Freeman stands down as Parramatta captain after continuing problems with referees. Now, I love Gary Freeman. So do I. But can you imagine for a second how shockingly bad your your relationship with referees has to be that you decide to stand down because it's easier just not to play than to go out there and shut up. A deal with this shit. <laughs> it's kind of... I'm kind of impressed by that. There you go. Um, May 8th. The Sydney Morning Herald claims that the ARL have been forced to approach Kerry Packer's Nine Network for interim funding of $5 million to cover mounting legal bills. Which is just, you know, obvious. Everyone's got legal bills. Everyone's going to everyone. You know, it, it's just more PR spin, really. Like, who who did they think Super League was going and getting all their bills paid by? Yeah. I think here, on the very next day, is where we see journalism turn that corner to what we have now. Mm-hmm. In an attempt to discredit the ARL, News Luna's Daily Telegraph reveals the salary figures of leading ARL officials Ken Arthurson and John Quayle and details of the financial connection between Kerry Packers 9 Network and the ARL. And here's the thing. You see a lot of journalists these days saying that they want to know the salaries of rugby league players. And they say that it's all about being open and honest about the salary cap. What they do is they use this as ammunition. And we see it right now with um, highly paid players. I think as somebody like a Ben Hunt. Um, they use their salaries as a way to attack them in the media. And whenever you see a journalist say that players' salaries should be made available to the public, ask them how much they're earning and see what their response is. Yeah. It's, uh, it's grubby. Yeah. Um, the Federal Court announces that Justice John Lockhart, Justice John Von Dowser and Justice Ronald Sackville will preside over the Super League appeal beginning on May 23. Here's one that I forgot about too. Wigan thrashed Bath 82-6 under rugby league rules in an historic cross-codes clash at Main Road, Manchester. A crowd of 20,418 people witnessed the match. Yeah, uh, that's an interesting one. They ended up playing a return game that was under rugby union rules. Uh, Wigan lost that game but didn't lose it by as much as, as that, obviously. Uh, Wigan would go on to take part in a sevens competition over in England, a rugby union sevens competition, and won that running away. <laughs> um, so yeah, like, and it it's something that English rugby league fans have dined out on since. So that was something that I I knew quite a lot about actually. 
Yeah, I'd, I'd never heard of that one. That was interesting. Yeah. Um, and Bath are one of the top sides in the Rugby Union comp back then, weren't they? I mean, yeah, they, they were, yeah. Uh, May 10, South Juniors reject a proposal to take over the operation of the South Sydney Leagues Club and football clubs. He's confirmed that football manager Alan Jones will leave the club at the end of the year. <coughs> Bless you. Uh, now, the thing about that is South Juniors was actually, uh, and they probably still are, um, really strong financial club, really well-run club, and Souths weren't. Souths were, to call them a basket case is being really, really kind. And Souths Juniors, they didn't mind the idea of taking over Souths to a certain extent, but they just didn't need all of the burden that that Souths had financially. And then the thought that Souths were going to be involved in any of the running of their club, because obviously Souths, you know, they couldn't run their own club. Yeah. Uh, May 14, the ARLQ Super League forces of attempting to take the focus away from the opening state of origin match by promoting Mel Meninga's bid to make a comeback. Oh, my God. <laughs> um, May 16, a Newcastle official warns New South Wales team management not to use the state of origin camp as a forum for recruiting players. Yes. <laughs> Why? At this point, does any of it matter? No, of course not. Uh, Mal Meninga decides against making a comeback, but he's tipped to take over as coach of the Raiders in 1997. Uh, May 17, Penrith and West turn on one of the ugliest brawling matches witnessed in years at Campbelltown Stadium. One player is sent off, four are sent to the Simbin, and two players are put on report. The ARL right. promised to launch an immediate inquiry into the game, which West won 16-6. I don't remember that at all. Um, I think it was actually on free-to-air TV. Really? Hmm. It was it was ugly. I don't remember that. Um, May 19, the ARL board rules that Adrian Lamb can continue to be eligible to play for Queensland despite representing Papua New Guinea in the 1995 World Cup. Yeah, and I mean, this is that was another... The eligibility rules around this time, this is when they break down because these rep teams need to be put together, thrown together at the last minute. Some of these teams, they don't know if they've got enough players to throw them together. And so eligibility rules just go right out the window um, where you get situations where players representing teams and countries and states that they should never have represented. Yeah. Um, Queensland lose the first state of origin game and consequently their selectors are urged to select... Gordon Tallis, who has been sitting out the year because of his contract dispute with St. George and Brisbane. But yeah, and I wonder who urged them to. My guess yeah. is it was News Limited. Exactly, because the ARL officials later ruled him ineligible. Yeah. Um, <coughs> May 22, the Cowboys are tipped to sack 12 players ahead of the arrival of Premiership winning coach Tim Sheens. Now, this was interesting because Tim Sheens, at this point, is regarded as a super coach. He's coached the great Canberra sides. Uh, and the thought was that him going to North Queensland was a massive coup for the club. It didn't quite end up being the case, unfortunately, and really is a pretty sad and sorry time in, in Shim, uh, Tim Sheen's coaching career, really. Uh, and it, it saw him go from being thought of as really maybe the premier coach in the game 
to needing to resurrect his career at the West Tigers when he eventually goes there. Exactly, which was quite a few years later. Yeah. Um, May 23, Super League appeal begins before the full bench of the Federal Court in Sydney. Uh, Super League counsel Tom Hughes QC claims Justice James Burchett was influenced by powerfully emotive arguments when he ruled in favour of the ARL. Uh, the following day, Tom Hughes tells the Federal Court that orders which stop News Limited from organising, promoting, advertising, televising or being at all involved in a Rebel League competition until December 1999 are over the top. <laughs> lucky, lucky wasn't trying to sway him with emotive, you know, yeah, thoughts and opinions. Jeez, uh, you threw them out a window twenty four hours later. Yeah, it's like ah, uh, I just think it's over the top, Your Honour. <laughs> yeah. Casually over the top, I might. Yeah. Add. Um, May twenty four, George Pickers announces that the Rabbitohs will battle on in nineteen ninety seven with or without the support of the South Juniors or a merger with the Roosters. Yeah. Look, George Piggins, he tried to tried to keep Souths alive and he, he couldn't. He wasn't capable of it. Uh, May 26, going back to an early story which he'd already confirmed, Bath beat Wigan 44-19 to under union rules and returned cross-codes match played at Twickenham. There we go. That's not bad. That's about 16 penalty goals or something, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, May 27, a QC for News Limited claims in the federal court that ARL general manager John Quayle lied to the league's clubs in a letter he sent them before they signed five-year loyalty agreements in 1995. I wonder what he said the lie was about. Yeah, not too sure. It's a big claim, though. Yeah, it is. Uh, May 28, the Western Reds float an ambitious plan to play at an indoor venue, the Burswood Superdome, in 1997. Now, where's the Birdswood Superdome? Perth, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I've never heard of it. No, neither have I. Um, May 29, Laurie Daly rates Queenslander Steve Walters as the greatest hooker in rugby league history. Uh, it's hard to argue with it. Yeah, at the time. Yeah. Um... Paul Vorton, coach of the Queensland Maroons, describes his players as pansies in their approach to the first Origin match at Suncorp Stadium. Nice. Um, May 30, Bob Ellicott QC claims that the Federal Court appealed that Justice James Burchett was the victim of the most vicious attack on a trial judge possible. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit of motive, isn't it? Mm-hmm. May 31, Super League-aligned Queensland centre Steve Renoff commits himself to the ARL's International Series against New Zealand. So he, so now he wants to play. That's nice. No, he just didn't want to play Origin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Passion. <laughs> June 1, the ARL threatens to fine or strip premiership points from clubs who poach players mid-season. Oh, that's interesting. That is very interesting. You don't hear that being put forward as an option now as to, you know, how do we stop players being signed elsewhere mid-season? I guess the way they saw it then, maybe they got wind of an idea where teams were going to start to recruit players. I don't know. What what happened in in May, probably about two weeks before that, the Broncos signed Anthony Mundine while while Mundine was still contracted to the drag. That's what it was. Okay. At the signing, Mundine came out and he was wearing the Broncos jumper. 
Yeah. And everyone hated on it because they said, what are you wearing their jumper for? You're a Dragons player at the moment. Yeah, I so, thought I thought you were talking about mid-season transfers, but yeah, I get what you mean now. Oh, yeah. it's, it's about making signings mid-season as well. It's all about that that thing as well. Yeah, because uh-huh. I mean, people that was that was massive. That was absolutely massive, and people were outraged that that happened, Which and is, it was gross. It's crazy to me because there were players who were signing deals with a rebel competition that wasn't even in existence yet. Yeah. <laughs> But let's all get outraged because Anthony Moore wore a different team's jumper at a press conference. Still, it is a line that you don't cross. Even now, even now, when a player signs for another club, you'll get press releases. They might talk about it a little bit, but they're always in their current club's gear, you know what I mean? I think the only other time I can think of where that happened was Craig Wing when he went from South to the Roosters. Yeah, and he went to a press conference announcing he's signing with the Roosters, wearing Roosters gear while um, he was still at the South. That's I the only one I can remember. I can't remember that one. That wow, was a few years later. Yeah. Um, June two, the Sunhold reveals that North have upgraded and extended centre Ben Iken's contract until the year two thousand. Wow, I can't remember him as a centre. How's this for news? The New South Wales side is locked out of its training venue because of a padlocked gate. (laughs) (laughs) That's brilliant. Um, Queensland management react to a Courier Mail story on Paul Vorton by banning journalist Paul Malone from the team's dressing room. Good. Yeah. We need more Paul Vorton in the game. I never thought I'd ever say that. We really do. Why don't they ban more journalists? That's what I'd be doing all the time if I was a club. And it wouldn't even be, I wouldn't even allow it to be a coach thing. If I was the CEO of a club, I'd just be like, yeah, they're banned. They're not coming in. Uh, the Western Reds deny reports that they are considering a switch to rugby union. Oh, jeez. Um, uh, Channel 9 is reported to be considering televising premiership football on Monday nights after the rep season. You know what? I think Monday night football will be a good idea. Why not? What can go wrong? Yeah. Um, June 3, the Federal Court is asked to uphold the ban on Super League until the end of the century to allow the ARL to restore its competition. The ARL rejects admissions by Brisbane and Canberra to have their Round 11 matches rescheduled until after the third State of Origin game. The SCG and the Sydney Football Stadium Trust are reported to be behind a push for a three-club amalgamation between Sydney City, South Sydney, and the Sydney Tigers. How do you reckon that would have gone? I mean, obviously, to a certain extent, it would have been Sydney City uh, just gobbling up the other two clubs. But there's a lot of merit in that idea. Geographically, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um. But for, I think out of those three, at that time, Sydney City were by far the strongest. Yeah, uh, and like the thing that people probably don't realise is, you go back eight years, Sydney City were nothing. Yeah. They were just garbage. Like, no one cared. Or, you know, they no benefited one. pretty well from the Super League War. That may be the best of any team. Yeah. They, they picked up a few... Bloody top-line players. I mean, Brad Fittler for one. 
in his mm-hmm. peak and getting better. And you put a few other good players in there. Then you put them in a competition where a lot of the heavyweights, like Brisbane and Canberra, for example, were playing in a different competition, and their big-name stars were all at their peak, but also on the way down out of their peak. So they were about to hit a transition phase and just open up the door for the, the Roosters to come through. They just timed their run well there. They really did. Um, I think what would have happened is it would have just been the Roosters. Oh Yeah, I think it would have been the Roosters club, basically the Roosters club. But I feel like they would have called themselves the Sydney Tigers or something, or the Eastern Suburbs Tigers. They would have been, I think they would have kept the Tiger name. Um, but yeah, it, of, it, of the three, I don't, I don't know what their colours would have been. No, nah. a mess. Yeah, you got red, white, blue, green, black, green. orange. Yeah, I suppose the Tigers still had purple on their jumper too in that stage as well. God, I oh, did that. Oh, that's right. Yeah, uh, they had a big purple strip at the bottom. <laughs> what the? <Yeah. laughs> um. The Daily, June 5, Daily Telegraph reports that all Super League aligned players will boycott the ARL's proposed trans-Tasman test. Uh, June 6, Ken Arthurson accuses the New Zealand Rugby League of trying to destroy trans-Tasman football. Ooh, I'm liking the emotive language. You can't half tell it's the middle of the year. Exactly. Uh, the Super League appeal hearing concludes in the Federal Court in Sydney. Justices John Lockhart, John Van Dowser and Ronald Sackville des- reserve their decision after eight days of submissions. Just think of how many times we've heard of court action already. Yeah. And and like and we'll hear about more of it before the end of this episode and none of it matters. Uh June seven. Brad Fittler appeals to all Super League players to make themselves available for the proposed test series with New Zealand. And in an interesting story. Brisbane centre Steve Redoff is placed in a report by Eddie Ward for an incident which followed his team's 14-10 loss to Norse. Accused of jostling Ward and other match officials, Redoff is cleared after claiming he was in fear of suffering a diabetic attack. Oh, I don't remember that one. Yeah, and it wasn't, it wasn't a lie that he came up with. Though. It was a genuine thing. And so he wasn't jostling because he was pissed off with him. He was trying to get himself medicated. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Um... June 9, the Sun-Herald claims any Australian player who declines the green and gold jersey will be in danger of a lifetime selection ban. We know what lifetime bans mean in rugby league. Yeah, about six weeks. Yeah. Uh, June 10, the New Zealand Super League players who opt out of playing in the proposed transassessment test series could be banned from future international matches. And the biggest news of the year... Dale Shearer is recalled to the Queensland side for the third state of origin match. Well, I mean, he's always ready. He's still ready to rock and roll. Dale Shearer, rowdy. And he'd still be one of the best on the field. He probably would be. does not age. I bet he would be weirdly athletic still. He'd be brilliant. Yeah. I bet he, I reckon he'd be a better option than Darius Boyd. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right. I, I think you're right. I think I would run. <laughs> Uh, if it's if it's que- he's on the wing for Queensland and it's between him and Boyd, I feel like Rowdy might do something a little bit special that you're not expecting. Where I don't think Boyd could do that. I'm taking Rowdy. Yeah. Yeah. Loved him. Like Cliff Lyons, he's ready to go. Yeah. He's always got the boots there. 
Yeah. Would you take Cliff Lyons over Josh Reynolds? <laughs> In the halves for the Tigers? I think I think you'd do better. Why not? Why not? Um, June 11. South accept a $6 million lifeline from South Juniors. Six million bucks. Whoa. June 12. New Zealand Rugby League are seeking a court injunction to prevent the ARL from staging an international series involving a Rebel New Zealand side. Rebel New Zealand official Peter McLeod claims all Super League aligned Australian players had agreed to play in the ARL's proposed series. The next day, NZRL chairman Graham Carden denies his organisation had paid Kiwi players not to take part in the proposed test series. June 14, New Zealand League is planning to ban any player who makes himself available for the Trans-Tasman series until the end of the century. Oh, my God. <laughs> They're just so irrelevant, the New Zealand Rugby League. That's never changed. Um, Manly veteran Des Hasler has been approached by English rugby union club Leicester. Oh, wow. That's an interesting one. Yeah. Um, New South Wales State of Origin coach Phil Gould angers rugby union followers when he describes Union Super 12 series as one-tenth of the battle that is league state of origin. Well, he's this, right. This was back when Phil Gould was actually relevant. Yeah, yeah. He was... Uh, how long would he have been relevant after this? But, I mean... A good maybe, decade, at least. Yeah, I was I was going to say a decade, 10 years, yeah. Um, it's it's interesting. I, and there would be more stuff said about the, the Super Rugby competition at the time, which I think was Super 12s from yeah, memory. Yeah, it was, yeah. Um, that it was Mickey Mouse competition and, and stuff like that. It was, still is. Um, June 17, under threat of suspension by the NZRL, the first ARL-aligned Kiwis declare themselves unavailable for the proposed Trans-Tasman Test Series. They must have been really keen on having this these tests against New Zealand because they, they needed the money, I guess. Pretty much. Um June 18, eight Super League aligned players selected in the Australian team to play New Zealand advises the ARL they will not play in a match not sanctioned by the NZRL and which does not contain the best New Zealand players. And they were Andrew Reddinghausen, Brett Mullins, David Ferner, Steve Walters, Steve Renoff, Laurie Daly, Glenn Lazarus and Wendus, Wendell Saylor. Oh, that's an interesting one. More PR bullshit from Super League? Pretty much, yeah. Um, June 19, the ARL abandons the first of two proposed matches against a New Zealand All-Golds team and expresses doubts about the prospects for a second. The NZ League launches legal action aimed at preventing the Trans-Tasman series being billed as tests. And you and me have talked about this. The flimsiness of what is actually a test match and regarded officially as a test match there's not actually a real official line that dictates dictates what is a test and what isn't. June twenty one. <laughs> June twenty one. Two two good ones here. The Arrow announced a new look test lineup to play a Rebel Fijian side in Newcastle. The seventeen man squad contains no Super League aligned players. And more amusingly, David Campisi hits back a criticism of Rugby Union Super 12 Series by Blues coach Phil Gould by claiming that Rugby League is dying. Okay. Well, technically, we're all dying, David. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, 
it's once again, yes, yes, rugby union person, just fucking add it to the pile of rugby leagues dying. Yeah. Oh, that's that's good. Um, June 23, Kerry Packer has withdrawn his multi-million dollar lifeline to the South Sydney Club. Uh, June 25, ACT bookmaker Colin Tidy will create a first by fielding bets on site at Bruce Stadium when Canberra played the Roosters on June 29. I wonder how he's legally allowed to do that. Mm. Um, the Fijian Prime Minister has written to 200 Fijian players urging them to boycott the proposed test match against Australia. Oh, man. Uh, June 26, 90% of players polled by Rugby League Week believe the current 20-team competition should be streamlined. The ARL abandoned plans to play a match against the New Zealand All Golds. June 27, All Golds manager Peter McLeod says he expects to be banned for 10 years by the NZRL over his involvement in the ill-fated test series with Australia. The... The ARL on June 28 pushes ahead with plans to stage a test against the NRL of Fiji, despite a split in the ranks of the Rebel Fijian body. Yeah, it's weird that Fiji had a Super League war. Mm. Um, an MRI scan on Paramount prop Adam Ritson reveals a cyst on the brain. The scan was ordered after a high tackle by Canberra prop John Lomax. Now, I was at that game. And I remember I was sitting on the hill at Parramatta Stadium. I remember seeing the tackle. It was a bad tackle. It was a real bad tackle. And they, yeah, they did scans and found a cyst on his brain, and that was the end of his career. Adam Ritson at the time was a very highly paid uh, front rower. He was seen as one of the, um, you know, the best young players in the game. Yeah, he was on the verge of test selection. He was only probably 18 or 19 at the time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, it was, in some ways, it was lucky that they found it. But it, it was tragic, the uh, outcome of it all. Mm. Um, and a lot in, at the time, unfortunately, the way that it was written up by the media, they were saying that <clears throat> the shot actually caused the brain injury. And, and it just wasn't the case. It was the, the scans that they they took as a precaution found that he had this cyst on his brain. And, uh, yeah, it was a, a rotten thing to happen. But it's interesting because I remember being at that game and seeing that hit and, uh, you know, everyone's screaming for him to go off, to be yeah. sent off. Uh, and it, it was, like, it was a terrible hit. I was – all my friends were Parramatta fans at the time. So I would go – we'd go to Parramatta games and Penrith games and everything. So, yeah, I was at that game. It's an interesting one. Uh, the next one. And this one is one that's um, something very close to, to where I grew up. Mm-hmm. Parramatta announced the signing of a 13-year-old schoolboy from Tumbarumba, Barney Hazlitt. He went to the same school I did. He was two two grades below me. Oh, really? And I was in the same class as his brother. Oh, okay. Um, he appeared on the footy show, and he, his mother, um, I think she had a good relationship with Les Cleal. Mm-hmm. Les Cleal was the, uh, I think he was the recruitment guy or something like that, or, you know, talent scout for Parramatta. Mm-hmm. And Les had played for, you know, the brother of Noel Cleal. He played for Tumbarumba back in the 80s. Okay. Um, and they were just family friends. And so I think she helped get him get picked up there. He was a very good player. Um, yeah. Similar in mould, I guess, to, you know, at the time, 
or maybe a bit later, Trent Barrett. Mm-hmm. Like a, a genuinely good ball playing five eighth, he could also play at lock. Mm-hmm. That was the sort of mould he was in, but he never. I think the best he got to might have been Presidents Cup in in Parramatta, and I think he played in the New South Wales Cup for a few years after that before going back to Tumbarumba to be captain coach there for a few years. Yeah, it's and signing a player that young, and and look, they're still even to this day there. And it happens every five years or so. They bring in new rules about who you can, <clears throat> how young you can sign a player, how much you can spend, things like that. I don't think it'll ever change that rugby league clubs get players that are young on contract, but 13 is is very young. You, you just never know. Yeah. Um, same day, Kevin Neal claims that poor refereeing is costing his club 5,000 supporters every week. That's some pretty epic refs faulting right there. Yeah, that's pretty good. It has nothing to do with the fact that he doesn't have a halfback or a lock anymore. Um, <laughs> the Fijian Rugby League general manager announces plans to stop the proposed Fiji-Australia test match through the courts. Um, Ken Arthurson reveals he will step down to a non-executive position, clearing the way for John Quayle to step into the top job. July 3... Fiji Rugby League drops legal action aimed at preventing Australia's test match against the National Rugby League of Fiji. I wonder why they dropped the the court action. They probably found out how much it was going to cost. Probably. (laughs) Um, July 4, the ARL announced they will withhold more than $1.2 million in television payments from clubs because of the Super League war. The ARL asked Raiders Chief Kevin Neal to show cause why he shouldn't be fined 10 grand for criticising referees. It's crazy that they they need they actually like wouldn't they just find him straight away? I'd I'd have thought they would have, but this is a weird thing. Like there were times the ARL would just bully Super League and just say we're doing this now. We don't care what you guys do or say because we can just do it. Mm. And then every time that happened, there'd be another time where they go, "Oh, we better be gentle with them." Yeah. And they'd pull back an awful lot and give him a little bit of leeway. So and you saw, you'd see it in weird things, like it'd be in the media, it'd be something like this with one of the bosses, it'd be at the judiciary, one player would get suspended for, you know, a bit longer than normal, another one would get a warning, and they're both the same sort of thing. And yeah. it's just this weird sort of back and forth going on. It's really crazy. Um, Fiji coach Noel Cleal promises to shave his beard if his team beats Australia in the one-off test. Think he was safe. Yeah, he's, he's kept the beard. <laughs> um, July 5, South Juniors announced they will make a $1.5 million grant to the South Sydney Rabbitohs for the next three years. Parramatta announced the signing of coach Brian Smith for 97 and 98 and a deal reportedly worth $600,000. It's a good move. It was. Um... Henry Matthews, a 24-year-old Illawarra Red Devils Metro Cup player, dies after collapsing in a match against the Kellyville Bush Rangers. Oh, jeez, I don't remember I, that one. I do remember that one because it, there was another incident, I think, in the UK, might have been France, another similar sort of one. Mm-hmm. It was around the same time, I can't remember. Um, but they weren't prominent players. They were in lower-grade games, and one was a, one might have even been a bit younger. Mm-hmm. Um, Sydney Tigers Chief Executive Danny Monk admits a merger with inner-city rivals South Sydney and Sydney City is likely by the year 2000. 
It makes you wonder if it could have worked. I don't think it... I think it just would have been removing one team, to be honest with you, especially at that time. Souths were, were done. They were just completely done as a club. Yeah. Given that the Tigers were financially, you know, battling on, I don't think they were in debt, but they weren't exactly making big money. And Souths are struggling for survival. And both teams were, at best, middle of the road. And yeah, the like, were on the up, and they were, they were starting to make some money. The rebranding was a big thing for them. Yeah, um, it just just looked like it was going to be a Roosters takeover. Yep. I think the the Bunnies probably would have fought a lot harder, and we saw that when they got axed. Yep, than Balmain would have. Yeah. Um. So you know, I think Balmain just sort of accepted their fate. They knew that they weren't going to last too long. It wasn't so much because of money, but also like the Roosters, they they had a they didn't have a big junior development area to work from. Mm-hmm. And with more clubs coming in and boundaries moving and stuff like that, it just meant that their area was only going to get smaller and smaller. Yeah, and like all of these clubs, like clubs are basically properly going broke. I know we talk about it a lot recently and, oh, clubs, you know, they're in the red and stuff like that and it's all rubbish. But clubs are properly going broke at this point. Now, July 8, and this has got one little incident in a game that changed the rule, but when it happened, it cost it cost his team the win. Mm-hmm. Andrew G plays heavily for a tap restart gaff because instead of putting the ball on the ground, he holds it in his hand and brings his foot up to tap the ball instead of putting the ball on the ground, tapping with his foot and then picking it up. I remember that. Yeah. Uh, uh, it was hilarious at the time. It was, it was absolutely the, hilarious. It was against the Roosters. Yep. And it was 10-all. Ivan Cleary kicked the p- penalty goal, and the Roosters won 12-10. And I believe the rule changed after that, so you didn't have to put the ball on the ground to tap it for a penalty anymore. Now, I can't remember if this is the case or not, but there was a game that me and my friends went, and I think it might have been this game here, where we jumped in the car, my, my friend's dad drove us, and... We uh we went to this game and they had oversold it because everyone's given away free tickets at this point. Like you go to Macca's, you go to the right Macca's and buy a hamburger deal, you're getting free tickets. Like it was literally like that. But we hadn't done that, so we go to the game. We the traffic is terrible because it's Sydney. We get there about 15 minutes into the game. We still buy our tickets. We go in and. I think the Sydney Football Stadium at that time probably held about 43,000. And I dare suggest from all the people going up and down the aisles that had tickets and the ushers that were saying, you can't stand here, you can't stand here. There was probably about 48,000 people at that game. We ended up leaving um, early and listened to the game on uh, the radio. Uh, And yeah, really interesting. I think it was that game. It was a it was a game, and it was a game that was just completely packed out. It was ridiculous. It was on a Monday night in front That's of thirty five thousand people. How much was there? Thirty five thousand and seventy five. I can tell you, there is. It was. It, they had thousands of people that were going up and down the aisles that had bought tickets but didn't have the free tickets. Oh, so. Yeah. It was a sellout and then some. 
Um, July 9, the ARL refresh plans to introduce a points rating system in a bid to redistribute talent in the competition. And this gets brought up every so often and none of those ideas work. No. July 11, the ARL declared that 16-year-old centre Josh Hannay is ineligible to play for the Cowboys against West because he's too young under league rules. Yeah, and that's an interesting one. Like, who was... There was one of the great players that played when he was 16. There's uh, a few. There was Frank Burge. Frank Burge is the one I'm thinking of, yeah. Um, there was another, Ray Sturr, who played for the Roosters for a long time, and he was a prop, and he made yeah. his debut as a 16-year-old. Which is crazy. I mean, just crazy to think about. Uh, Tom Malolo was pretty young, but I think he was 17 in, like, a few days, something like that. Yeah, as was uh, Chris Lawrence. Yeah, that's right. That's and there right. was a Titans player as well. Oh, he might have been the last 16-year-old to play. I can't remember his name now. But it's interesting that it, Josh Hannay is one of those players as well. Josh Hannay was a very good first grader. He's a very good player. Mm. Um, but it, when his name comes up, and I guess it's because he was so young at that time, like you kind of don't think of him from being from that era, do you? No, that's right. You think of him just being a 2000s player. Yeah, yeah. Um. July 16, the ARL announced it is likely to stick with a 20-team format in 1997, scrapping plans for a two-tier format. Okay. Um, July 17, the Cowboys announced the signing of former Manly prop Ian Roberts for the 1997 season. Good signing. <clears throat> Absolutely. July 21, detectives are called in to investigate the leaking of sensitive documents surrounding the future of Illawarra coach Alan McMahon. The reports confirm that Illawarra are looking to terminate his contract. Why did they bring in detectives? I don't know. That's weird. It's very weird. Um, July 24, Gold Coast claim Canterbury and St George have breached the game's new anti-tampering rules by approaching <clears throat> Chargers players Shane Camwood and Dave Watson. <laughs> there, there were anti-tampering rules at this time? <laughs> Uh, July 25, the ARL makes a subtle change to the final series draw, ensuring maximum combinations of teams can qualify for the grand final. I wonder what that system looked like. I don't really remember what it was. No. Um, July 26, Illawarra prop Kyle White is granted an unusual pardon after testing positive to the banned drug Sweetoephedrine. Uh, my guess is he probably took a Sudafed. It'd be something like that. It'd be so, yeah, something weird like that. <clears throat> the and drugs in sport at this time is still, I mean, it it's still pretty basic. Like I can see back then where a, a player would be like, I if they said, did you take anything? And they would go like, oh no, I've just taken a Sudafed. I could see that happening at this point in the game. <laughs> yes. Um. July 30, the Raiders caused further ructions into uh, with the ARL. And this is over a really, really odd thing. Mm-hmm. By announcing plans to dump the number 13 jumper because of the number of players this season who have been injured while wearing it. I remember that. <laughs> I remember it. And it was weird. It was very, very weird. And it, it sounds ridiculous, but at the time you were kind of like, I get it. This is a funny one. Also on that day, uh, the Auckland Warriors indicate they will consider privatisation to cover debts of up to $6 million if Super League does not start in 1997. 
they end up being privatised and it goes as terribly as you could imagine. Yep. August 1, the New South Wales Rugby League Board vote to fine play, uh, clubs up to half a million dollars who negotiate to sign players without the permission of their existing clubs. All right. It's weird that they've got all of these rules that are still in place about anti-tampering for players and yeah. stuff when, like, none of it matters. Everyone's tampering with everything. The ARL denies it has cash flow problems after deferring grants for 18 of the 20 premiership clubs. The Crushers and the Tigers are the only clubs to receive mid-season grants of $150,000 because of, in quotation marks, special needs. Special needs. Um, August 2, the Canberra Times reports an alarming slump in crowds could cost the Raiders up to $1 million in lost gate takings in 1996. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they had so many injuries. Like... That was the problem with them. Yeah. Um, August 7, the ARL confirmed they're examining a system for registering player managers. Isn't that interesting, knowing what's going on lately with that sort of stuff? Um, I don't think a registration system for player managers come in for another, what, 18 years or something ridiculous like that? Yeah. Um, Also on August 7... Adam Adam Ritson undergoes his fourth surgery in a month to insert a shunt in his head as doctors confirm his career is well and truly over now. Yeah, that's terrible. Um, Because they were having trouble getting rid of that cyst. Yeah. Any hopes for compromise in the long-running ARL Super League war are quashed when Rebel Chief Executives refuse to return to regular ARL meetings. South Queensland officials denied that receivers had moved into the financially troubled club and vowed to remain viable. Here's a name that's coming up here. August 10. The manager of Gold Coast, Captain Dave Watson, who is Sam Ayub, claims the former Kiwi International has come to terms with Canterbury for 1997. Oh, wow. There you go. Sam's been around a while. Mm. Um, August 11. Crushers players demand a meeting with club executives for answers on their futures. August 12, the ARL outlined strict rules to combat rorting of a new $4 million salary cap to be introduced in 1998. It's outrageous to think that they think there's a salary cap. (laughs) That is so stupid. There are players literally in the game right now, at this point in the game's history, that are on million-dollar deals. There was no salary cap. I think the the right the reason why they went with four million dollars is they knew that pretty much every Super League club was going to be unable to to um, honor it. There's that possibility, but you think about that Parramatta team. That's true. <laughs> there was no way like that would that wouldn't have even paid for their backline. Even and they the weren't a backline full of superstars either. I'm just saying, like even the Roosters, because I mean Brad Fittler wouldn't have been cheap. No, I look. I dare say that, he would have taken up nearly twenty percent of their salary cap. Yeah, like I would say there would have been some players, and I, I would have I would have thought a Brad Fittler, a Laurie Daly, probably Ricky Stewart and Alan Langer players like that. On what they were probably earning around these this time in their careers, might be the highest paid player in the NRL now. Yeah, oh, it's crazy. Um, the New South Wales Rugby League Board reject a request from the South Queensland Crushers for a $1 million grant or loan. How funny is it that they've said, 
they're, they're not in receivership. Receivers aren't there. Everything's fine. And now they're like, we could use a million bucks, though. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, just in case. Just in case shit happens. You know, electricity bill come in. That's what yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, It could go up. You know, we've got some, some neon lights and stuff. Yeah, you know, rego, rates. It all comes in at the same time, but there's nothing to see here. Everything. Yeah, yeah. The water bill might be a bit high. We had the showers on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, August 13. The Daily Telegraph reports that the proposed salary cap will almost certainly be challenged in court by players who face pay cuts. <laughs> there you go. I think I nailed that one before I even read it. Yeah. <laughs> How about the fact that they were going to have a... They wanted to put a salary cap in place. Forget that it's the most ridiculous time in the game's history to be talking about having a salary cap. But they were going to put a salary cap in place without a collective bargaining agreement. No. <laughs> so stupid. Um, three days after South Queensland revealed there's uh, nothing to see here. We're all woods and we're all sweet. Um, they formally appoint voluntary administrators to help the club overcome debts of $3 million. <laughs> Oh, I love rugby league. Oh, my goodness. Um, Sydney Cricket Ground Trust Chairman Sir Nicholas Shahadi organises a meeting between officials from the Roosters, the Bunnies and the Tigers to discuss the formation of an inner city super club. The next day, reports that relocation in Melbourne is the preferred option of the Sydney Tigers if News Limited is successful in its federal court appeal. Now, you're a Tigers fan. Yeah, I remember that one. What would you have thought if... The Tigers had have moved to Melbourne. I can tell you at the time, I would not have given a hoot because I didn't live in Sydney. Okay. But it didn't matter to me where they played. So mm-hmm. long as they still existed, I would have been happy. Okay. Um, but looking back on it, there's no chance it would have worked. Um, Why not? Because the, the Balmain fan base back then was almost entirely located in and around that Balmain region. Mm-hmm. And so they wouldn't have had, they would have had no supporters going to games down here in Melbourne because Melbourne, while they had been they had been pushing for a team for quite a few years up to this point mm-hmm. beforehand, it was to have their own team. It wasn't about getting a relocated team. Yeah. Um, from the best that I recall, anyway. So I don't know that, especially given the attitude between Victorians and New South Welsh people. I don't think that a Sydney team based in Melbourne would have had any support from the locals here and it wouldn't have been able to get any support from the, the diehard fans that were living in Sydney because it's in another state. Yeah. I've got to say, I, I think that uh, a team called the Melbourne Tigers would go well. What could go wrong? Yeah. Um, I think the other reason too is the, there was... I'll have, I've got to find... I've got to find facts on this one. I've got this belief that if a team accepted either a name change, a merger, or a relocation, they would get an automatic cash grant from the ARL. And I think that's part of the reason why the Dogs, the Roosters, and the Tigers all changed to Sydney, and they played out at Parramatta Stadium. I think it was a kind of a workaround, that whole thing, to get money. Well, the NRL. But I've, well, I've got to find evidence of that. It's just, it's just this idea I had in my back of my head that I heard it somewhere. So I've got to try and find out about that. See, I know when the, the competitions merged back together, they did offer pretty substantial grants if you did move um, to a new area um, or if you merged as well. 
and the the clubs that merged and stuff they burnt through that money like immediately and it was a lot of money i think it was about i think it started off at eight million dollars and then went to 10 and by the time it went up to 12 no one had no one went with the 12 but uh when if you merged you got i think it was eight million and that as i said the merged entities burnt through it immediately it, it was supposed to be for a future fund they just killed it um but I know with a lot of the name changes in with Sydney clubs at that time, there was a feeling that there was going to be a rationalisation. And there was a lot of talk at the time that, you know, you needed X number of teams in Sydney and stuff like that. And so a lot of teams started to manoeuvre themselves to try and be the Sydney team or to be at, at least at the centre of what would end up being an, a rationalised team. And it, it really didn't work out for any of them. Like a lot of them changed their names and didn't change back. The Sydney Roosters are really the only one that sort of stuck with it. But I, I think it was more along those lines that they wanted to be seen as being the rationalised Sydney club. Um, and it, it didn't really work for any of them. No. Uh, August 16, the ARL confirms a one-off test match against the National Rugby League of Papua New Guinea in the first week of October. Uh, August 17, Sydney City Chairman Nick Politis reveals his club will investigate the possibility of staging double headers with the Sydney Swans in 1997. Wow. Uh, August 18, Manly fall victim to a second major upset in the space of seven weeks when they crush 18-14 to one of the youngest ever first grade outfits fielded by Penrith. I wonder who was in that team. I'll tell you, and the average age of this Penrith side was 23 years and 150 Whoa. days. Oh, that's crazy. That's very young. So Bobby Thompson, 24 at fullback in the, in the three quarters. Fred Peterson was 18. Ryan Girdler, 23. Uh, Garen Casey was 22. Andrew Hinton, 20 in the halves. Craig Gower, 18. And Gavin Clinch, 21. The forwards, Carl McNamara, 23. Brett Boyd, 24. John Cartwright, 31. Jeez, he bumped that average up. Yeah. Jody Gall, 22. Matt Adamson, 24. Darren Brown, 27. On the bench, Brad Drew, 20. Ned Caddick, 18. Steve Waddell, 29. And Gordon Falcon, 26. There's a couple of pretty good players in there. Yeah. And Matt Adamson. And Matt... <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty young team, that one. Yeah, that is. That's shocking. And as you say, Cartwright bumped that average up. That's incredible. Yeah. Um... The next day, one of the most memorable field goals, I still remember it, when West 5'8", Andrew Willis kicks a last-minute 45-minute field goal to give his side a 23-22 win over North Sydney in another magnificent Monday night football fixture. I remember that one too. That was amazing, hey? Oh, yeah, that was stunning. What is it about that field goal? Because it's in like a nondescript, you know, mid-season match. I think Not- it was more the fact that in, in Australia... Especially at this time, we didn't see too many field goals being kicked. And when they were being kicked, they were like within the 30-meter range. And a lot of the times they were in, yeah. in front. They were chips. Yeah. So to see a field goal being kicked from 45 meters out, it's... I mean, Benji Marshall kicked one a few years back against the Titans. And he kicked it from the halfway line. And it hit the black dot and fell mm-hmm. over the bar. And Would I'll you... always remember that one as well. Not because it... Not just because it hit the black dot and went over, but because he kicked the thing from 50 metres out, and he didn't really have a run-up at it either. Yeah, he just whacked at it. Yeah. 
uh, and I'm pretty sure at around this time though, and it might have been started by this field goal. Like, remember Brad Fittler, I think it was, was just started trying to bang him over from, like, 55 metres out and stuff like that? Yeah. Um, August 24. The Broncos have planned a short tour of England to prepare for the 1997 season. (laughs) It's a nice little workaround. Certainly is. Um, August 25, the first Super League book called Super League, The Inside Story by Mike Coleman, which I'd like to read, although I'm, I'm well aware that it would be Super League leaning. Yeah. Um, it reveals how a bungle involving Wayne Bennett almost led to the unraveling of New Zealand's elaborate plan to sign many of the game's elite players. So I need to find out what that was about, because I have heard about that part of it, but that book is very hard to find. Yeah, and, I mean, it's funny that a Super League book about Super League before Super League has kicked off. (laughs) Exactly. uh, Written by a News Limited journalist. Uh, Like, it would be be really interesting to read through, but you would have to keep all of that in mind. Yeah, and realise that you're reading this from. It'd be like reading, uh, you know, when a politician puts out puts out a book. Exactly. It, it'd be the exact same sort of thing. It's like, yeah, this is from a point of view that they want you to sort yeah. of take on board, exactly. but only ninety eight percent of it's bullshit. Um, the ARL inject four hundred fifty thousand dollars into the crushers to enable them to field a team for the remainder of the season. That's purely just to pay the players' wages. Yeah, that's insane. Wow. Um, In a surprising public outburst, Chris Anderson lashes out at the recruitment policy of fellow Super League club, the Brisbane Broncos, in an ABC radio interview. And this is what I was referring to earlier. Two players die in separate incidents in junior league matches in Sydney. Wow. And I remember something like that was going on there. Um... August 26, Solomon Hormono is ruled out for the season after cutting himself on glass in a domestic accident. I don't remember that one. Solomon Hormono was a very good player around this time. He's a, a very, very big hitter. He could smash people. Um, and for his size, he was very mobile as well. Uh, as we see, his career is taken right off the rails later on. But, uh, yeah... He was a he was a getting towards being a star, really. He was, yeah. And uh the one thing I remember most about him, I'm gonna say it, was his uh relationship with Gabriel Richens, who was known as the body. The pleasure machine. And that one as well, well there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, August 28, Ken Arthurson expresses disappointment in Kerry Packer for an absence of visible support for the establishment over the course of the nineteen ninety six season. Can I say this? That's what the money's for. (laughs) (laughs) Spoken spoken like Packer would have wanted to be said. Yeah. Uh, South Queensland supporter Kevin Seymour offers $1,000 per player if the Crushers can beat Canberra in the club's final match of the year. That was a sound investment because you didn't have to spend any money. Yeah, that was pretty good. Can can you imagine if a, a coach said that now? The absolute crisis that it would be turned into 
because people would be like, how does that work with the salary cap? I bet yeah. that's happening all the time, blah, blah, blah. It'd be crazy. Western Reds utility player Julian O'Neill signs a contract worth a reported $2 million that will tie him to the club until the end of 2002. Wow, they're really pissing away money, aren't they? Yeah. August 29, talks between the Roosters, Rabbitohs and Tigers officials over a proposed merger have been put on hold, possibly for good. Good. Uh Canberra are poised to take legal action against the ARL to recover $95,000 in lost TV revenue. I wonder how that works. Oh, I dare say, because Brisbane will probably get another Friday night game. Possibly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what that would have been about. Um, Bob Thornton calls for greater benefits for the team that finishes as minor premiers. Of course he says that because he was a coach of Manly and they just became minor premiers. Shock horror. <laughs> um, the Gold Coast Chargers are given a rock-solid guarantee over their future in the competition for 1997, at least. Well, that's nice. Um, September 2, Canberra Raiders and the ARL relations sour further when the Raiders refuse to attend the Rothmans medal presentation at the end of the year. September 3, Ken Arthurson admits that the ARL is under financial pressure but denies it is broke. Ricky Stewart calls on forces on opposing sides of the ARL Super League fence to fix it or there'll be nothing left to fix. It's a good thing you were helping all those times, all those comments you made, Ricky. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah, it's a dumb one. Mm. Uh, September 5. The ABC is set to dump its national radio broadcast of Rugby League in 1997. The move is denied by both the ABC and the ARL. That story came from News Limited. News Limited. Shock horror. Oh, boy. Uh, Canberra bows out of the premiership race in a controversial 16-14 loss to St. George at the Sydney Football Stadium. Saints' use of the mousetrap ploy in the lead-up to the decisive try comes under heavy fire. (laughs) This is so funny. This is so funny because I I just, I remember this so clearly, right? And I, even at the time, I was like, if this thing didn't have the name The Mousetrap, no one would even think about it. I, I, I didn't understand why it was a problem at the time. I didn't understand why it was controversial. It just made no sense to me whatsoever. No. Should it's... we describe it? Yeah, go for it. So, basically, a, you've got the play the ball. The player plays the ball. The dummy half, or the, the I guess he's a dummy dummy half. He's a dummy dummy half. He's a dummy dummy half. Looks like he's going to pick the ball up, and he makes the motion that he has and runs off to, say, the left. But he hasn't actually picked up the ball. And there's a player that's directly behind him that picks the ball up and runs to the right. Yeah. But because the player has run to the left, it it draws the defense that way because they think he's running with the ball. That's basically it. Yeah. Um, I don't see anything illegal in it. There's nothing wrong with it because because the player goes in the opposite direction to where the first decoy runner goes, Mm. there's no obstruction. Exactly, and 
Because I, the defence has already made a decision to slide in his direction, so they're not going to cover the actual dummy half anyway when he does get the ball because they're going the wrong direction and to what he's going. Yeah, exactly. And so, uh, it even at the time, I just didn't understand what the problem was, but I feel as though it was supposedly controversial, and I, I, I don't know if you'll agree with me with this. I think this was the first in the long line of little stupid names that they gave to things that then, funnily enough, they said were controversial as well, such as... Oh, no, we had in Parramatta in the 80s had the... What was it? The Flying Wedge? Uh, you're right. You're right. But that was illegal. <laughs> yeah. That, that was, was illegal. That was basically a combination of a rugby union mall and a gridiron um, set play, I guess. Yeah. We just had a, what, four or five players in a V-shape running into the line with a, a player behind them. Yeah. And you know, the other one they had was, uh, remember Parramatta had one where they would have a line of players and it was like a run, the wall. A run around. The but wall. it was running around like, yeah, the wall. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's it. That's right. right. You'd, you'd run around. There'd be like four players in a line and the run around would happen behind the wall. So the defending team couldn't see what was going on until the, the attacking player had already run past most of them. And they were, it created a massive overlap. Yeah, and the that one was ended when uh, when Parramatta did it one day and Peter Sterling turns up on the other side of the wall and basically almost gets killed by a hit. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Bit just, back. Yeah, he almost got and that was the end of the wall. <laughs> yeah, it ended straight away. I did look into the uh, the alternate options of what could happen with the wall. Yeah, that's funny. Um, that's really funny. I'd forgotten about those two, and then go. it was the mass trap. Yeah. Uh, September nine, the Arrow announced that they will continue with the unlimited interchange rule in nineteen ninety seven. Mm. September ten, the Crushers are told to expect only two thirds payment for the nineteen ninety six season. That's rough. Uh, September 12, the Knights reject rumours the club has gone into receivership and appointed an administrator. Wow. September 13, and this is this is this story here tells you, you know, it, it proves what you were saying before about how much money these players were getting. Yeah. The Illawarra Mercury confirms John Cross has accepted a three-year offer to play with Penrith. How much money do you think he was offered? I'm going to be generous when I say this. All right. Three years, and I'm going to go by his average salary. I'm going to say I'm going to be really generous. I'm going to say six hundred thousand. Eight hundred thousand. Fuck. Fuck. That's insane. Yeah. That's insane. Steve Steve Edmet, who was a, a solid toiler in the the Balmain Tigers pack, off you know accepted a similar deal, I believe, to go to the Cowboys. Mm. And the thing about Cross was, like, solid first grader. Right? Yeah. A real honest first grader. And, and But, at like, at his best honest first grader. Yeah, that's right. Good, uh, you know what? A, a good, uh, like, the sort of dude, a good clubman. Yeah, and you need it. Like, he's an absolute toiler. He'll just do the dirty work. Yep. Just smashing it into the guts all day. He'll take that crash ball. He'll get himself smashed. He'll just keep get up and do it all day. That's... You need those players in a club. Mm-hmm. But they never, ever 
get the big dollars. Eight. And that was the crazy thing about it, is that now they were. That's insane. And yeah, and so can you imagine, I mean, the, the superstars of the game, what they were on. You know, yeah. they'd have been the highest paid players in the game now. It's And it's crazy to think about. It is crazy. Um, September 15, Gold Coast rule out any prospect of a merger with the South Queensland Crushers. They should have merged. Yeah. News Limited reportedly been forced to pay a $1 million out-of-court settlement to the ARL over a merchandising dispute. Uh, which is, you know, we're starting to see a few legal matters are being finalised here and money's starting to be paid out at last. Yeah, which is kind of funny because we're, as you say, like we're seeing things come to an end in terms of uh, the legal challenges and stuff and the following season there's a split competition. So none of it really matters. Yeah. Uh, September 17, Ref's boss Mick Stone lashes out at the Roosters Chief Executive Bernie Gurr after he was quoted in a newspaper claiming that clubs could take legal action against a referee for a wrong decision. Stone says Gurr's comments are stupid and ill-conceived. And he was right. Absolutely right. Um, the Crushers are reported to be preparing to sack 28 players as it begins its rebuilding process. Wow. That's, uh... There's some clubs that should do that right now, actually. Yeah. Um... September 22, the ARL abandons games against the rest of the world because of a failure to gain a TV coverage for them. Kerry must have said, nah, not showing that. Pretty much. Uh, September 24, an auditor's report reveals the South Queensland Crushers have debts of almost $9 million and could be wound up within days. That's insane. $9 million bucks. Whoa. An Auckland neurosurgeon warns that Manly fullback Matthew Ridge could be risking death by playing in the grand final after being heavily concussed in the preliminary final against Cronulla. So they had to go to bloody New Zealand to find someone that would say something stupid. <laughs> uh, September 25. Ken Arthur backs away from moves to rationalise Sydney clubs, claiming it would tear the heart out of the game. Because that hasn't happened yet. Yeah, no, nah, everything's fine so far. Um, Canberra forward Ben Kennedy is awarded the Rising Star Rookie of the Year Award. Oh, that's some good news. Yeah. Um, John Quayle states that Brisbane's ANZ Stadium is being considered to host the 1997 or the 1998 Grand Final. Well, it, it definitely hosted one of those. Yes, that's true. <laughs> um... September 26th, Adam Ritson fights for his life at St. Vincent's Hospital after 14 bouts of brain surgery. Oh, 14. Far out. It's insane. How he survived is an absolute miracle. It really is. Uh, September 27th, speculation intensifies that a decision in the Federal Court Appeal is imminent. Well, that's good news. Yeah. Um... The South Queensland Crushers are granted a 60-day extension of credit by the club's creditors. That's just den de delaying the inevitable there, really. Yeah, why would they do that? I don't know. Um, October 1, the ARL withdraws the threat of legal action against Australian-based Super League players selected to play in the Great Britain New Zealand Test Series. And Adam Ritson is released from intensive care. Far out. Um... 
October 3, Wally Lewis says compromise is the best result that could come from the Federal Court Appeal to be handed down at 2.15pm on October 4. So let's go to 2.15pm October 4, the very next day. Federal Court judges John Lockhart, Ronald Sackville and John Van Dalsar unanimously overturned Justice Burchett's Super League ban, freeing the way for Super League to launch a 10-team comp in 1997, a shell-shocked ARL vow to appeal to the High Court. Yeah, what a blow that was. And I guess it really got Super League's wheels rolling at that point. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, October 6, the Sun-Herald Sports front page features a tombstone with the inscription, Rest in peace, Australian Rugby League, born 1908, died 1996. Yeah, I remember that one. Uh, same day. Australia score a convincing 52-6 to win over the PNG National Rugby League side. That was a good win. October 7, reports of anxious players contracted to the ARL are concerned the ARL has little more than a short-term future. Uh, Ken Utherson offers to stand aside if it will bring about peace in the game. The ARL asks Optus Vision for a $100 million rescue package to allow it to survive. That's pretty ballsy. The next day, Optus comes to the rescue of the ARL by pledging not the $100 million that the ARL asked for, Mm -hmm. but $120 million. Well, I guess from their point of view, it was about protecting the television rights that they had purchased from the ARL. because the next part of that is it's $120 million over five years. Okay, yeah. And so it might have just been an extension of their current agreement. Yeah. Uh, Ken Cowley refuses to rule out a compromise between Super League and the ARL. That's him pretty much saying, we might do it, but, you know, shit's about to get real. We're, we're back, in the, back in the driver's seat now. Yeah. Uh, October 9, the Daily Telegraph PR spin reports nine ARL clubs are considering defecting to Super League. <laughs> or oh, just nine of them. Yeah. St. George reject the option of joining Super League and relocating in Melbourne to remain tied to the ARL. Parramatta remain the only ARL club to pledge their allegiance to the establishment. Balmain announced they are abandoning the Sydney Tigers name and will return to Leichhardt Oval in 1996. The Hunter Mariners offer the Newcastle Knights a merger option. I bet that was received really well in Newcastle. How do you merge with something that doesn't exist, by the way? I, I love that. Mm. How ballsy is that? Yeah. Like they've gone to Newcastle and I was going, hey, look, we've heard you're in a bit of financial trouble. How's about we merge? And you're like, merge with what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that makes no sense. That's crazy. Um, October 10, Parramatta finally pledged their allegiance to the ARL, ARL, albeit on a yearly basis. The Brisbane Broncos make significant changes to personnel with Kerry Walters and Willie Kahn released and the futures of Michael Hancock and Alan Cairn uncertain. News Corp chairman Rupert Murdoch now insists there will be no compromise between Super League and the ARL. Shit is on. Yeah, yeah. And that, at this point, it's like, this is what they wanted. Like, why would they have compromised at this point? Exactly. The next day, Optus Vision Chief Jeff Cousins labels Super League as a series of exhibition games. And you can really see it lining up in terms of what it's really about at this point. Oh, yeah. Um, 
you know, Optus is protecting what it purchased and Super League, which is about getting content on Fox Sports. They're going ahead with that. And that's that's what all of this is about. The South Queensland Crushers are given five days to come up with $840,000 to pay off their debt to the Commonwealth Bank or the club will be liquidated. I wonder who paid that. That's coming up. <laughs> the Broncos chairman Paul Morgan attacks ARL chief executive John Quayle for suggesting the Broncos were in worse financial trouble than the Crushers. <laughs> <laughs> That was a stretch. <laughs> bold. <laughs> Very bold. Um, Jeff Tuvey calls on all players to unite for the sake of the fans before the game is destroyed. Good on you, Tuves. Oh, that's a nice, nice try. I mean, it wasn't going to happen, but it was still it was a nice yeah. go at it. Uh, the Sunday Telly reports that a group of disgruntled Illawarra members will move to call an extraordinary general meeting of the club to protest its refusal to talk to Super League. Yeah, Illawarra was a weird one. There was a lot of uh, a lot of back and forth about what they should have done by people at the club and within the club. Uh, uh, that was always interesting to me. And yeah. I wonder if they had have gone with Super League if they'd still be around. Yeah, hard to know. Um, also on October 13, with just three days left to go before their deadline expires, Crusher's chairman Dick Turner says that the $800,000 debt to the Commonwealth Bank will be paid. Take my word for it. There you go. I wonder how many other creditors at the club were like, what about us, man? Yeah. Um, October 15, reports suggest Super League may switch its proposed 1997 World Cup from Great Britain to Australia. That would have, I mean, they didn't end up having a World Cup. But it would have been a smart move, I think. Yeah. Although, you know what? In retrospect, the way that things turned out in 1997, it would have been a financial disaster if they'd done that as well. Of course. Um, a meeting of Super League coaches endorses moves to expel clubs found guilty of negotiating with contracted players. The oh, that's, ARL... good. that's good yeah. they did that at that point, hey? Yeah, yeah, that was really important. <laughs> the ARL announces a seventeen finals format for its twelve team competition in nineteen ninety seven. So only five of twelve teams miss out on the finals. Yeah, and I guess that's the first sign that the ARL's like, yeah, we're only gonna have this number of teams. Yeah, they're not even thinking about expanding it to make it a bigger comp. They just go, you know what, this will do. Yeah. Um, and that a seven-team final series? Where do you reckon the Tigers finished in 97? Eighth. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> they finally made it to the top eight, and they were missed out by one competition point on the ladder. Fucking so, uh. me. Um, October 16, the New South Wales Industrial Court begins hearing a case in which eight Penrith players are challenging the validity of ARL loyalty agreements. The outcome of the case is seen as critical to the future of the ARL. I don't um, remember that one. On the on the day of the deadline for the crushers to pay their debt, a number of mystery benefactors step in to save the crushers from liquidation. And we don't know who they were, mm. but they just made the deadline. 
St. George and the RL are left seething after Sydney City signed second row David Barnhill for 1997. I don't know why the RL were left seething, but maybe because they signed him before the end of the year. Yeah, possibly. Um, October 18, the RL lodged papers in the High Court, beginning the proceedings for its appeal of the Federal Court judgment, which overturned the RL victory and gave the Super League the green light to keep going again. Mm-hmm. October 21, Super League announced a series of rule modifications for its 10-team competition. South Queensland failed in the bid to attract Arthur Beetson as a coach for 1997. Smart move by Arthur. Yeah. Uh, October 22, Rebel Organisers Rebel announced a player pool system in an attempt to spread talent among its clubs. It's not a draft. It's not a draft. It's not a draft. It's a player pool. October 27, Kerry Packer is reported to have taken a personal interest in the recovery of the South Queensland Crushers. I was going to say, <laughs> I bet I bet the benefactor, I'm not going to say who it was, but I bet it rhymed with slacker. <laughs> I bet he had a vested interest in the game doing well on his TV network up in Brisbane. Yes, in, yes, in, in South yeah. Qu- East Queensland region. Um, consortiums from Melbourne and New Zealand apply to join the ARL competition on October 29. I don't remember that. I, I wonder who they would have been. Well, the I don't think the Melbourne one changed hands, so it might have been the same one that got them up in the end. The New Zealand one I'm not too sure of. Something New- tells me it might have been South Island, but I'm not sure on that. Because I remember with the the Melbourne Consortium that they were at first they were going to call themselves the Mavericks from memory, um, but it, it, that's an interesting one because I don't remember that. Yeah, uh, November three, the Sun held reports that ARL boss Ken Arthurson has pleaded with clubs to stop cannibalising each other. <laughs> it's <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, why would they bother at this point? <laughs> I mean, the ARL's just cannibalised itself in these court cases that it keeps having all the time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it is pot kettle black. Yeah. Uh, the Sunday Teller reports that up to 20 US and Canadian gridiron players will turn out for ARL clubs in 1997. Oh, jeez. It's like some of the stupid stories just this year. November 5. Great Britain captain Andy Farrell says... Are you interested? Yeah. Okay. The international league scene is in tatters and predicts the departure of more top players in rug- to rugby union. Farrell's comments came in the wake of Britain's disastrous tour of New Zealand in which they lost the series 3-0 and financial losses topped $1 million. There you go. I'm glad things have changed with how uh, well they, they tour, by the way. But look, he was right. And it, international rugby league was in tatters. And, I mean... It's probably recovered, I would say, in the last four years, five five years maybe. Yeah, I think the the emergence of the Pacific Islands has been yeah the, the rebirth of international footy. And if it wasn't for that, I I would be willing to say it never recovered. It like I don't think the test uh what test used to be between Australia and Great Britain is just that hasn't been the same. Ever since, yeah. just hasn't. Um, Australia, New Zealand, New Zealand's been too inconsistent, unfortunately, and it really has been the the 
surge of Pacific Island nations and Papua New Guinea that has been, I mean, you could take, you could literally take Australia, New Zealand and Great Britain out of it and just have everyone else left. And that's all the good stuff still. You'd still have it, yeah. you know, and, and that says a lot, I think, about what happened because International Rugby League only a few years before, it was the thing. Like it was pack crowds, interest, national interest, and that was all gone. And I dare say it never recovered in Great Britain for sure. Uh, and I don't think it, it's ever recovered in Australia, unfortunately. No. Um, <clears throat> November 6, a mystery benefactor provides a $3 million rescue package for the South Queensland Crushers. Ah, oh, Mr. Slacker. <laughs> yeah, I wonder who that was. Yeah. Um, Western Suburbs extend the contract of coach Tommy Radonix until the end of the 1999 season. Good move, lock him down. <laughs> November 10, the Adelaide Rams appoint former Auckland Warriors marketing manager Liz Dawson to the most to the post of chief executive, and I believe she was the first female chief chief executive of any rugby league club at the elite level in Australia. Oh wow, how about that? That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, November 11, John Quayle announces his resignation as chief executive of the New South Wales Rugby League and the ARL. Yeah, and a lot of people feel as though that was a really bad day for rugby league that it lost a very good administrator. Um, he has, he's never been involved in the running of the main game ever again. He's been involved in up in Newcastle a little bit. He ended up working on the Sydney Olympics to a certain extent and then moved into, I think, events, New South Wales. Um, and there's been thoughts of trying to get him back involved in the game, but it's funny. It, it has kind of been resisted as well. Uh, and you know. Well, I think because because News Limited have essentially a large vested interest in the game now, mm-hmm. and they do control the game a lot more than what they did then, um, I think he knows too that if he came back, there'd be an awful lot of dirty laundry would come out, and he'd be under a lot of attacks, and he just goes, you know what, I don't need this shit anymore. Yeah. As much as he'd be fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I don't blame you for not coming back. Yeah, and he, I also would say he's he's probably one of those people that um, he doesn't he doesn't need to do it in rugby no. league, and he's proven that. Yeah, uh, November fourteen, former Channel Nine executive Ian Frickbird is appointed News Limited's executive director of sports and takes up a position on the Super League board. The New South Wales Rugby League lose another leading administrator when Tom Bellew announces he will not seek re-election and. Tom Delia was another very underrated administrator. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was another one that hurt him a lot. So they lost two big-name admin guys in the space of a few days. Yeah, and uh, something that you will see over the the rest of this podcast, and there's not much left in the rest of this podcast, obviously, but going forward into 1997 is so many people leave the and, uh, the ARL board and, and administration there is this massive power vacuum and it, it kind of it it's up to just a few people to make stuff happen for the ARL going forward and they don't really have that institutional knowledge um, and, and the experience behind them and they do a remarkable job considering yeah. those facts uh, I'm not I'm not downgrading anything they did they did 
exactly what you would have hoped they did. Um, but it's interesting that they had to do that without a lot of the support that a lot of these people that are leaving the game had themselves. Yep. Um, especially these guys in the in the late 90s. Yeah. Would have been hellish doing that job. Yep. Uh, November 15, the High Court rejects the ARL's bid to gain leave to appeal against the decision of the October 4 decision of the Federal Court. Uh, that's just words. Super yeah. League Chief Executive John Rebo reiterates that compromise is not on the agenda. Uh, November 16, the Sydney Morning Herald runs a display advertisement for the position of Chief Executive of the ARL. Well, uh, and keep in mind, like, you step into that role. Now you're the one that's sort of at the forefront of all of these, some of the biggest court cases in Australian legal history. Yeah. And they were massive. Uh, November 17, the ARL unveils its draw for 1997. And on November 18, Ken Alston reveals the ARL recorded a loss for the 1996 season. In November 20, so three days after the ARL announced their draw, Super League announced their 1997 draw. And Paul Morgan resigns as chairman of the Brisbane Broncos. Oh, that's interesting, that one. Here's an interesting one. And I've been trying to find details of this game. Mm-hmm. November 24, the Roosters defeat Manly 34-30 in an exhibition game at the Komizawa Stadium in Tokyo. <sighs> what? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. That's... I don't remember that. I remember it, but I, I've not been able to find any details of it other than that snippet of information right there. That's absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, November 26, Super League clubs, formerly with the ARL, dropped their nicknames for legal reasons. Yeah. And, and we've talked about that before. November 30, AAP reports the power brokers Rupert Murdoch and Kerry Packer have scheduled talks in London. And here's what it comes down to. None of these people cared about rugby league. They just wanted the content. Yeah. And Kerry just wanted rugby league. And he knew that, you know, this private benefactor that had been pumping millions of bucks to keep the southeast Queensland crushes alive... It didn't matter because it was the Brisbane Broncos games that were going to be the thing that raided in southeast Queensland, and he needed to make sure that they were rating on his channel. Yep. Uh, December 6, the hour will report a $9.7 million loss for the past financial year. Uh, Roosters, Roosters chairman Nick Politis succeeds Tom Bellew on the New South Wales Rugby League board. Uh, John Quayle is awarded life membership of the ARL. December 9, the ARL announced plans to launch a team in Melbourne in 1998. The league also announced the scheduling of a match between Australia and the rest of the world at Suncorp Stadium on July 13, 1997. Oh, there you go. December 10, National Basketball Chairman Malcolm Speed is linked to the vacant ARL Chief Executive's position. I don't remember that one. I remember Malcolm Speed, though. He was with Cricket Australia, I think, in the end, didn't he? He 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 was, yeah. He uh he was in charge of basketball, and I I think he kind of was in charge of basketball in Australia at a time when the NBA 
was kind of making global strides. So he mm. he made good on that, and then he he moved into Cricket Australia, and uh, I I you know he was there where things were going well for the Australian cricket team, but didn't really do much with it. Um, and this kind of shows how the how how on the pulse the rugby league media was then, because on December 10, Malcolm Speed is linked to the vacant chief executive's position, mm-hmm. and the very next day, Neil Whitaker is appointed as the chief executive <laughs> of the ARL. Oh, jeez. Now, Neil Whitaker, he'd be a really interesting man to talk to. Yes, he had a horrible job because, first and foremost, he was only 40 years old when he got the gig, mm. and he was a former Balmain player. Yep. And one of the things he had to oversee was the merger of Balmain and Wes. And he did it. And Mm. there's a lot of things that people weren't capable of doing that he managed to do. Yeah. And, you know, he was, it was a thankless task. And you look at where he's at now. He now takes over an organization that just lost 10 million bucks half its team or around half its teams just disappeared. Now there's a direct rival same sport competition is about to take it on during the season. It's only backed by probably the biggest media entity in the world at the time. Um, They're internationally isolated. There are so many things that are going against them and he steps into that role, not even to, you know, you think of all the legal stuff that they've got to sort out as well. Um, I think his role in everything, when it's all said and done, has been lost a little bit and is vastly underrated. Yeah, very much so. Especially when you consider that he had to oversee the merger of the two competitions again. And when that was done, he then had to get rid of eight clubs, essentially. Yeah. Merging clubs, axing clubs. One of them was South. That's a hard mm-hmm. call to make. Mm-hmm. Merging North. You know, anytime you had to merge a foundation club was never going to be an easy task to do. And he had to get three of them merged. And then he had to throw in that another very passionately followed club in St. George also had to merge. Yeah, um, and on top of that, like, it, it, in one off-season, they end up having to basically i mean by, by the end of the the super league war and where where we've still got a season left of it to go but by the end of the super league war it's like having two houses that have been knocked to the foundations with wrecking balls and they had to rebuild one house out of all of the rubble that was left yeah. in the space of a few weeks and they did it yeah um and that was going to be a job where all he was going to receive was hate. Yep. But in hindsight, you can only look back at him and go, how the hell did you manage to do all of that within within the space of about 18 months? Absolutely incredible. Uh, and really, he needs to be talked about as one of the administrators that is, I mean, he was part of saving rugby league, literally. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it'd be fantastic to talk to him. He hasn't said much since the Super League war ended and since he left the game, um, and I can understand why. Yeah. Because it's just, it's it was always going to be difficult for him to say anything. And I think that his legacy stands on its own in that sense. But yeah, he'd be amazing to talk to about what happened 
during his time as the the CEO. Absolutely. Um, December 15, in an interview published in the Sydney Telegraph, former Canterbury Supremo Peter Moore claims that Ken Arthurson advised him to join Super League. The very next day, Ken Arthurson came out and says, I never said that. Wow. And that's one um, of those lifelong friendships that were damaged for, by yeah, Super League. They were very close. Yeah. Um, outgoing, outgoing ARL Chief Executive John Quayle is appointed to a powerful post on the organising committee for the Sydney 2000 Olympics in which he will oversee the organisation of venues for the Games. There we go. Um, December 20, St. George announced a move to full-time professionalism. <laughs> the Dragons. Um, December 21. This is an interesting one. I don't remember this by, one. By the way, when does that full-time professionalism kick in for the Dragons? Do we know? Um, yeah, look, I think it's a 40-year plan or something, isn't it? Still yeah. got a few years to go. <laughs> um, December 21. Reports that the game's referees are set to take out liability insurance following a court ruling in England in which a rugby union referee was blamed for a player's injuries. Oh, wow. That's really interesting. I've never heard of that one. No. That's very curious, that one. Um, December 22, Ken Arthurson reveals that he may retire in April of 1997. The ARL refused to hand judiciary records over to the Super League. That's just been petty. Yeah, that is. But stuff them. The Sunday Telegraph reports that Phil Gould has approached Roosters management for a $50,000 pay rise. Again, it's just the News Limited people talking about players' salaries in a way to try and make them look greedy. Yep, to undermine them, to attack them personally. It's something they can use. It's it's gross. Uh, play, player manager Steve Gillis reveals plans to stage a benefit night for Parramatta prop Adam Ritson, who was recovering from brain surgery. I don't know if that went ahead, or, and if it did, I don't know how much money it raised, though. Yeah, I can't remember that. And that is the end of 1996. And... You know what we didn't talk about? We didn't talk about who won State of Origin. We didn't talk about who won the Grand Final. We didn't talk about results from test matches. And it was one of those years. It was just like the... All you remember is the newspapers. Yeah, yeah. The game was Um, played in newspapers in 96, more than ever before. 100%. I know for me personally, it's... Of all the years I can ever remember of rugby league in my lifetime, that's one that I just have zero interest in. I don't really care about it at all. All the stuff that happened on the field in 96, it just seems of no consequence. How do you feel about it? Yeah, it's pretty much the same. I don't remember much of what happened on the field. Um, Manly beat the Dragons in the grand final, or was it the Bulldogs? You know what? It was the Dragons, and I only know... Because I'm looking down at the page. I can't oh, tell you, you the, the premiership. Uh, I can't tell you the scoreline from it. Um, I believe Queensland won the 95 Origin Series. That was with Fatty Vorton's unknowns. Yep. And in 1996, Wayne Pearce's unknowns. I mean, Wayne Pearce coached New South Wales the year before. But in 96, Wayne Pearce got revenge and won the Origin Series. I think it was also 3 0. Yeah, it was 3 0. Yeah, I remember that one just because it, it was. Uh, Weird that it went 3-0 one way, 3-0 the other way. Um, yeah. I actually think I went to one of those. I think I went to the um, the one at Sydney. I think it was at the SFS. And there wasn't a big crowd there. Um, it was a real small crowd. 
and it was like a, a last minute decision where we'd actually we'd had the day off off of school and we went over to a friend's house to drink stupid and I wasn't a big drinker, so I'd only had a couple of beers, and a couple of my other friends had only had a couple of beers. And one of one of our other friends turned up and said, "Oh, you know what he's up to?" And we're like, "Oh yeah, we've just had a day off school." And they were like, "Oh, we we're thinking about going to the State of Origin game tonight." And we're like, "Oh yeah, let's go." And that, like, that's how easy it was to get into an Origin game at that time. Went there, bought tickets at the gate, I, like. If I had to judge the crowd visually, I would say there was maybe, I reckon maybe twenty thousand, possibly. Um, and yeah, Justin Morgan was there. He was the one that uh, we brought tickets and sat exactly where we uh, our tickets said, and he grabbed us and sort of said, "Hey," because one of my friends knew him. He said, "Hey, come over closer to the halfway point," you know. And uh, we felt like we were special because he took us over towards halfway more. So it was a very sad time for the game. Yeah, it was, as I said, it was one where I just don't remember much of what went on the field. I should have been remembering it for, you know, Ellery Hanley's return. Yep. I just don't have much memory of it at all. Manly. I remember some of the footy that went on in 97. I remember going on in 95. 96 is just blank like I was concussed out the whole year or something. It's the exact same thing with me. It's really interesting you say it that way because it's the exact same with me. I can remember 94 to ridiculous levels. 95, there's things that I remember to ridiculous levels. 96, I've got nothing. 97, I remember to ridiculous levels. And I guess it was just a case of like you just... You didn't. You, you just didn't care about footy. There was so much rubbish going on. It was like, how can I enjoy this? And I'm very big on like, switch the media off. Don't listen to them and enjoy the game yourself. Enjoy it through your own eyes and through your own perceptions. Um, and maybe this was the year that taught me that. Yeah, I I don't know. It's it was also. I mean, it was mainly the year where I realised that. You know, I was only a teenager. That the media, um, they they don't always just report facts. Yeah, and I, they, I they know, do it less and less now. I think it was, I think it was probably the year for me that '97, where I realised yeah had to interpret what was going on more than just take the media's word for it, and I found myself. Um, talking to mostly friends of mine about, they would say, oh, this is happening in the game. And I'd be like, no, that's that's just what the papers are saying. What it actually, like, it, it was things like Super League, oh, Super League are trying to expand the sport internationally. And I'd be like, no, this is just about TV rights. And they they had no idea what I was talking about. And I guess it kind of formed the way that, and it's probably the same for you to a certain extent too, like, it formed the way that I looked at the sport, and it, it, it informed the it, it formed the way that I was not informed by the media. Yeah, no, it was it was a crazy, crazy year. That and the the back half of nineteen ninety five, um, just chaos. It really was. And even though it was 
the the this talk was going on the whole time about you know the Super League war and this rebel competition. Something about it just seemed a bit surreal. Like it was just all talk and it would never amount to anything. Mm. And even at nineteen ninety six, at the very start of the year, as we were discussing there, and you know Super League, as as you would have heard in the nineteen ninety five episode, they were adamant they were starting in nineteen ninety six. Yeah. Yet even a week before, you still thought. Nah, they're not. They're not going to have a competition up. It's just too crazy an idea. And sure enough, it didn't get up. Yeah. So I think a lot of fans probably got to the end of '96 thinking, yeah, this is just '95 all over again. Super League going to start saying, oh, they've done this, they've done that, they've got all these great plans, and then it'll get to the start of '97, and there'll be no competition again, and we're just going to have to deal with this. It's going to happen every year. But when '97 started, and there actually was for me, it wasn't until I saw Super League having their own competition in round one and seeing the first game of Super League being actually played, I went, oh, shit, this is real. <laughs> See, for, for me, I think it, when the decision came down and it was clear they were definitely going to have a competition, the thing I kind of felt was relief because I, I felt like there needed to be that, it needed to be broken before it could be fixed. And it wasn't being broken as it was. It was just uh, like, and we've talked about, we've done, we must have done nearly six hours worth of talking about legal action. And it needed to be completely broken before the two sides could come together properly and, and really decide to make things work. And so when they, the Super League competition did get going, for me, there was some relief in that. I didn't have, I wasn't excited about it, but I thought that it needed to happen to a certain extent. And, um, you know, I, I enjoyed the 1997 season way, way more than 1996, or probably a hundred times more than 1996. 1997 was actually a pretty special season. Uh, we will do an episode on 1997 very soon because I know it's probably the one we've both been most excited to talk about. So we'll be like ready to do it. But we had to do this grind through 1996. I'd, I'd know that it's something oh, we needed to. That was causing the delay. We were so keen to do the 1997. We were going, we've got to do 96. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> and look, it, it, you know what? If you've listened this long, You've done great because yeah. it's not a fun episode. It's not an exciting episode. There's nothing that we're really sitting here going, oh, I remember this footy game or anything. But it needed to be done. It needed to be put down. And, and yeah, that's why it's taken us so long because we knew this was going to be a grindy one. Absolutely. So on that note, we'll wrap this one up. Yep. It's gone on for quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, thanks for tuning in. You can follow us on Twitter at Fergo Freak Pod, also on Instagram at Fergo Freak Pod. We're on YouTube, Facebook. Um, so LinkedIn as well. So get in there, follow us everywhere and we'll catch you later.